not happen for an age. Then What's that? Tis a gathering. Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 70. It's reached a ripe old age, but as they say, 70s are the new 60s and 60s are the new 50s and 50s are the new 40s and all that sort of stuff because we're all ageing slightly. But 70 is young at heart and Entmoot is remaining strong. No walking sticks required, No, not a grey hair in sight. Entmoot is happy and ready to rumble because today we have the Grand Prix. So ladies and gentlemen, start your engines for one of the biggest Warhammer tournaments, uh, Lord of the Rings, SBG Warhammer tournaments anyway, in the world. Well, sort of. It's certainly aiming to be. Uh, I think it's probably going to be in the top five or six or thereabouts of the Great British Hobbit League this year. Um, So really excited for uh, this event we did talk about it a little bit on the last episode with uh, Will Champion who of course we'll hear from a bit later on as well uh, to give some feedback and sort of uh, review of the uh, of the event and how it goes um, I of course will be taking a list to said tournament this 600 point event um, I'm going to be keeping with the Numenor for now uh, and will do for maybe a couple more episodes uh, and then start introducing funky allies and stuff we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of episodes time so uh, we'll have a list to build later on we'll uh, refresh our mind for the riddle in the dark we'll have some questions questions that need answering uh, and also um, we're going to be hearing from a lot of people um, at the Warhammer tournament at the event uh, this weekend because it's going to be seven games so fingers crossed I get all my seven opponents um, but uh, it's going to be a lot of games it's going to be a tiring weekend but uh, it's going to be a great one there's a big hotel um, it looks fancy as all hell so there's uh, there's a hall and all this sort of stuff really excited for uh, for the weekend um, and yeah 600 points feels like a nice spot for, for Numenor because you kind of get just about maxed out on certain things so we'll talk about uh, that in a minute um, and also it, it's got a slightly unusual system so you may remember from uh, I don't actually remember when it was it might have been September last year something like that from the previous Grand Prix um, the GP as a lot of people are calling it now um, essentially I won the second pod so it's the idea of it is you play a load of games on day one uh, Swiss ranked, so uh, play winners play winners. Top uh, top winners play top winners. So I think it's a Monrad Swiss ranking system, um, and then everyone who's done really well goes into or who's basically won all their games all four of their games uh, and probably with high scores required um, they head off into a pod of eight people to duke it out in a knockout championship for the uh, the top spot essentially so that sounds really cool um, hopefully we'll hear from the winner of that in the uh, course of the podcast unless of course I manage to make it you don't know don't you dismiss it I know you're saying, yeah, no chance. You never know what could happen uh, over the course of this episode. Um, And of course, then there's also different pods. So if you do really poorly on day one, it's okay because you're going to be in a pod of uh, people who also did quite poorly as well. So everyone's hopefully going to be playing against people on day two that are kind of in the same skill level, maybe the same interest level, maybe the same, uh, you know, I don't want to say talent level, uh, level in the game anyway, you know, uh, whether you're a beginner, a noob, or just, uh, you know, new to things. Um, Hopefully we'll all be playing similar people. Last time in September, as I was um, leading up to, 
I ended up somehow was it september maybe it was last year it might have been this time last year anyway whenever it was i somehow managed to scrape my way into the chaser pod um and i managed to win said chaser pod with my dragon emperor and um uh, i can't think it was a dragon knight i want to say dragon emperor dragon knight and who else would it have been oh, i can't even remember oh brogy that's right um so and i did did really well i was really chuffed with how i how i fared uh, and ended up winning pod number two and then I got a free ticket to uh, this event because of that. So um, I'm very excited uh, about the, the potential for this event. It should be uh, super duper. Um, I'm really excited. And of course, I'm going to be testing out my Numenor and probably uh, what's being described as the most competitive tournament on the scene at the moment. But I think in reality that there's going to be a lot of people here who haven't got flying monkeys about the competitive side and really are there because it's a hotel you've got bar on bar on the uh, uh friday saturday night there's a pub quiz which uh, apparently doesn't have just middle earth stuff in it so uh, you know it's not just for the nerds it's for uh, everyone as well and uh yeah it's just sort of 80 or i think it's 90 nearly 90 people who are going to be just enjoying some toy soldiers and having a chat with folk over the course of the weekend i think that's going to be the big pulling factor for this one a bit of social interaction with folk who um you know like toy soldiers there's also a couple of stalls uh, the generation shift stall with matt davies on there there's also the some city collectible stall there's loads of out of production models and all that sort of stuff so yeah really cool really cool event uh, coming up um but we need to take an army of some sort so let's crack on and build one so as i mentioned it's 600 points and we're sticking with the men of numenor um, as I've been mentioning, I'm going to be running a few more Numenor lists until I uh, I tire of this, uh, depending on how well I do, I suppose, this weekend. But I'm very excited for uh, for this one because um, I think I've kind of been dancing around this, uh, this points value for a while and certainly dancing around with this army. And it's not quite felt pure optimum level yet. Um, I had, I think before Christmas, uh, went to Newcastle and did relatively well with like a 500 point version of this. So it had a few less models. Um, and then um, I've I've sort of done fiddled with allies and stuff like that. So so it's it's been it's been largely a, so I've played quite a few practice games with it, but I, I haven't actually had a proper tournament where I've played a full pure Numenor list. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, we're going to make Numenor great again, and we're going to prove that it's possible to do well. That's the idea, anyway. So with that in mind, this is what I'm taking this weekend. So. I'm sticking with Elendil. Um, I know I've spoken to uh, spoken about uh, the qualities of a sealed door, but they are mere few. Um, I don't think they are. I just think that Elendil's so much better. Um, for an extra sixty something points, you just get a much killier dude. He's got the plus one to wound. Um, he's slightly higher defense, or actually maybe no, the same defense. Um, he's higher fight value by one and he's got free heroic combats so he is just ace um yeah he doesn't have the ring but i don't know i'm i'm skeptical as to how good the ring is on when he's on your only hero that can kill stuff Uh, you need this army to be killing lots of stuff and i wonder how good it is to jump off your horse i don't know maybe maybe, i I will try it out i will try it uh anyway so uh we've got ellendale mounted with a shield for 200 points to start off the list then we've got 14 men of Numenor with spear and shield uh, I'll talk about the the um, war gear choice in a second and then Numenorian with banner spear and shield 
the 35 points so uh, so far 15 models in his warband and then we've got uh, three Numenorean bowmen who also have spears okay then we've got a captain yeah captain mounted with armor lance shield for 75 points it feels like such a bargain that uh, defense seven dude fight five lance strength four lance it's good um and he is leading 10 warriors of numenor with spear and shield mm, yes uh they're 10 points each by the way um and then we've got two numenorean bowmen with spear for 10 points each so in total you have 32 models you have uh five bows so you know enough to maybe do a little bit of plinking uh, and five might of course plus those free heroic combats which are essential and in my head the logic behind this army is uh, in terms of war gear and all that sort of stuff first of all if i didn't give them all spears and shields i'd ha- i would i would run out of war war band spots so uh, i'd have uh, I'd be under points uh, because I've got exactly the maximum number of troops. So uh, if I'd stop, if I had half of them having spears and shield, and the other half having shields, I would run out of warband spots. So may- maybe there's too many spears here, maybe. Um, and the other uh, warband of the choice is giving the bowman spears, and maybe the number of bows that we've got here. So I've got five bows in total, which you know is half the you know just about half the, uh, of what I could have. But I kind of think because the bowmen are, they're just not, they're not, they're not special enough for me to warrant it. Uh, first of all, you lose the defense bonus, so so you go from strength, uh, sorry, defense five down to four, which sounds like a kind of minor thing. But when you're facing up against Urukai or any other kind of strength four troops, uh, uh, corsairs with their crossbows, or even just strength two bows, it can make a big difference going from four to five. So uh, I think the fewer defense four models I have, the better. I think that's kind of obvious. Um, and also, I, I wouldn't mind sacrificing the defense, you know, the, the, the one point of defense, if it was for some really good bowmen. They're hitting on fours, so they're okay. They're strength two, so they're okay. But they're just normal. Like, they're just normal dudes with bows. And maybe if they were hitting on threes, which obviously that would be a bit silly because they're not elves, but... Men of Dale, I think, hit on the same, and they have got better bows as well. So, uh, you know, that would be better. Or even if they were just strength three bows, or had like I don't know some kind of bonus, like a re-rolling ones to hit because of their steel bows or something like that. Because I think the Men of Numenor are meant to have like special bows, strength, uh, you know, or maybe even an extra bit of range, thirty-inch range bows at strength two. I'd be fine with that. But anyway, we don't get any of those extra bonuses that you could argue for in the law if you really want to. Um, so what we get is a strength four, uh, sorry, a strength. Uh, two bow uh, that's 24 inch range and hitting on fours which is good it's fine especially against uh, enemy cavalry but I'm certainly not going to overload it so you could argue maybe if I could drop I don't know something along the lines of half of the spear uh, you know make it down to sort of half and half spear guys and shield guys and then maybe squeeze a few extra bows onto some guys or, or something like that but I don't know I've already maxed out warbands. I'm happy with this. I've got a lot of sort of uh, mobility uh, and um, what am I? The word that means essentially that you can do lots of things with one guy. So that's what you can do. So you've got um, the dexterity of the spear and the shield guy. So you can, you know, lose your front dude 
uh, and you've still got a spear and a shield you know you can uh, people are chipping away at stuff and it's fine you can be countercharged by cavalry and you still have spear supports everywhere uh, you can spread your line out and shield as much as you want or you can uh, sort of compress into a box and make sure that you've got uh, those spear supports in every which way so so that's the argument the argument is 32 models that's pretty good at 600 points you've got one of the biggest heroes in the game very little can uh, come in his uh, you know stop him um he's got the resistance to magic the double resistance to magic so he's good for that uh, but obviously big downside to this list um first of all the defense coming up against any kind of strength three uh, throwing weapons or bows i need to smash into the the lines very quickly and i'm going to struggle to do that with uh, just far, well with just two points worth of might that can be marching and they're only you know two out of the five so i'm going to be reluctant to be marching i guess i should at some point but maybe i don't know we'll see um and of course the fact that uh, everything's um hinging on elendil and probably the captain as well doing a lot of work if they don't do a lot of work i suspect this list falls apart and i lose my games if they do a lot of work which to be fair elendil absolutely can and even the captain can then essentially i could i could do really well at 600 points because i mean maybe there'll be a balrog or something like that who knows i could come up against any old thing but i like i like ellendil he's really good so that is my army 600 points what do you think get in touch entmootpodcast at gmail.com if you have some critiques and in fact i will be appearing on another podcast to defend the merits of uh, of this um this list against some proper competitive dudes uh, they're really really good players uh, from the unexpected podcast podcast so if you haven't heard uh, the unexpected podcast it's great it's on youtube and it's also on um spotify and uh, i think i think it's on spotify i assume it's, it's definitely on apple Podcasts, so i assume it's on most of them um but it's really good uh, i it's one of the, uh, the the podcasts i have pretty constant um on constant loop actually i, I, I think it's the kind of podcast that i listen to uh, when i'm feeling that i really want to sort of learn some stuff about the game um so it's really really good and and it's a great mix of hosts on there as well it's not always the same people which which can be really cool because it, it means it feels like a different different kind of gang every time but you, you you certainly learn to to know and love all of the uh, the presenters on there so uh, do check it check it out um because i'll be on there um, and they're gonna sort of pull my list apart or well we'll find out whether they do or not but uh, uh, do check it out so um with that in mind we've got a list um we've got to go to the tournament but first riddles in the dark Yeah, that's right. We've got Riddle in the Dark. Um, now, uh, it, it was kind of a bit of a throwaway uh, Riddle in the Dark last time because it was in a, in a, a podcast where I knew that the, this one was going to follow on quite quickly. So hopefully next time we're going to hear the answer to the Riddle in the Dark. So uh, just a reminder uh, of last episode's Riddle in the Dark. So all you have to do is find out or, or sort of work out who speaks next and what they say in this clip from the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit films. So this one is specifically tied to this episode uh, in a kind of roundabout way anyway. Um, so it is, a, it is a clip that you need to apply some lateral thinking to. But anyway, have another listen and see if you can work out A, the link, B, who's speaking and see what they say next. Let's have another listen. <laughs> A 
entmootpodcast at gmail.com. And that is also the place you can email... Christians. Christians that need answering. Yes, that's right. So uh, this is the newish segment of the podcast where I delve into the email inbox uh, and answer any of your questions. So feel free to send in your questions. Um, we had a very long-running saga with uh, Nathan Colkman from Australia's question about 3D printing um, and whether it's good for Games Workshop and the game. So... Um, before I get into some of the new points that uh, people want to make, I'm just going to sort of tidy up the inbox uh, and f- delete the uh, the remaining 3D printing things. So uh, I think we're basically talking at length in one of the episodes about 3D printing and whether it's going to be good for the game. Uh, and Sam Hoodie got in touch. Uh, he said, there was a point made several times about old models in the range. For some, such as Minas Tirith Warriors, this is fine in my opinion, as they look fine and get the job done relatively cheaply. However, with the point of creating new models for old profiles, we have seen this done relatively recently time of writing feb 23 with the guard of the galadrium court the problem was they were made in forge world which is generally from what i see the way most new products go people then complain we have models already for these and now have the same thing but for a higher price you could also argue that gw could just print these packs of troops in plastic like certain heroes have been and they would theoretically sell in higher number than the heroes Uh, and therefore be the better option to have in plastic. But the guys in charge of the game, creation and production, aren't stupid, so I suspect this is an idea they would have had and there's more behind the scenes that prevents this, just to muddy the waters further. So uh, I think Sam uh, is responding directly to a single point from the last episode. So just for context... um, we were uh, some. We were sort of talking about if you don't support the uh, the games workshop, um, then maybe they won't create new models. And if you don't, then buy the new models, they might not be able to sort of fund the rules and all that sort of stuff. Generally, um, and his point was about Gladium Court. They're like twenty two pound for three, or maybe it's four. I don't remember. Um, which is fair, and you know it's it's expensive, and I can understand the criticism. You know, if why would I go for those? If uh, if I can print them for less, and uh, I get that, um, but you know, just to point out, there are new models, uh, there are new toys. I think what people want though is is sort of updated um, models, like for example your uh, Rohan Royal Guard and stuff like that, that that do feel a bit tired. Um, so maybe that's that's the argument. If if you know if they were to forge World Rohan Royal Guard, would they be really expensive? Maybe what we'd want probably is a plastic kit for the world guard and then dismounts in forge world like they did with the um uh, the knights of dol amroth but who knows anyway uh thanks again for continuing the point uh, about this uh martin king's been in touch he says long time listener first time emailing uh, we met at the great north rune in october and he had easterlings ah martin uh, i do vaguely remember the <laughs> the matchup it was uh, it's great um so uh, you you say uh, listening to the latest podcast about 3D printing I had something to add whilst I'm not against 3D printing to add to the hobby I'm not sure many people realise how important Games Workshop support is for the game having a huge company supporting the game with new releases tournaments and rules is crucial to its success if they stop supporting the game yes it would survive but we'd lose a lot of new players joining the hobby and it would dwindle Uh, so yes 3D printing is fine but we need to keep supporting GW as well else the hobby will die eventually Recent releases such as the Osgiliath box set are great and cheap ways into the game. Remove this and new players might not even notice that MESBG exists. Just my thoughts. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Martin. It's a fair point. Um, I think there's there's an element of 
the community helps grow it themselves so like i specifically um started a slow grow league in lincoln and uh, tim um, who's been on the podcast a few times he also helps um by taking on that slow grow and growing it even further in subsequent years um whether i would have got the initial group of people playing that game if it wasn't for the new pelinor fields box set when i started i don't know i i, I probably you could probably say no um it wouldn't have happened but the subsequent growth has probably come more down to the enthusiasm of that initial group of people um, has grown our community. So um, it, it definitely helps having big um, box sets and you know articles in White Dwarf and on the Warhammer community page and them talking about it on Twitch if that even is a thing anymore. Um, but I, I, I do think there's an element there of, of truth that, that, you know, if it wasn't for the GW releasing these big things, maybe maybe we wouldn't have any more. Who knows? Uh, thanks again for getting in touch there, Martin. Uh, much appreciate it. And hopefully we'll meet at the tabletops uh, once again. Maybe if I come up to Newcastle again, I'd love to. Uh, Dan Broxholm has been in touch. Dan is a patron. Uh, and Dan is a, a legend in our Patreon community because Dan um, has very very uh very very lucky uh success with uh, the patron draws that we do occasionally um to give people prizes who are, are patrons um he's i think he's won like three or four of them um it's brilliant anyway um dan says hi harry i'm emailing in to say i only i'm only slightly against 3d printing um I think, uh, have I have I read this out? I feel like I might have read this out. Anyway, well, if not, I'll apologise now. Uh, I'm emailing in to say I'm only slightly against 3D printing. I understand why people do it, as it can get frustrating when there's no model for a certain profile. I think it's acceptable then, as GW haven't provided the profile for a model in their own game system. But people printing whole armies just because it's cheap doesn't feel right to me. Middle-earth has a very slow turnover of models, which is what I like about it, and isn't that expensive to get playing for a luxury hobby. We still owe it to the creators of the game to support it, so in because of the films in GW that we have a game in the first place. Thanks for the work, Harry. Cheers, Dan. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, and uh, that's that's it, I think, on... Um, or maybe we've got more, is that... Uh, yeah, okay. So um, this is... Uh, that, that's it on the 3D printing. We've done. We've dusted it. Uh, if you want more, um, the podcast I mentioned earlier, the Unexpected Podcast, uh, I'll be on there to debate that uh, as well as my list. So uh, feel free to have a listen to that if you want a bit more debate. It's uh, hopefully going to be good, good content. Right. Um, Matt Acryl's been in touch. Uh, Matt has uh, basically he's got in touch um, after the fellowship of Grantham. Um, I kind of threw it out there saying, "What kind of things would you um, take at 423 points if you had to use a green alliance?" So I took the uh, Numenor and uh, Glorfindel, mostly Numenor, um, and uh, some other people came up with some really good ideas. I did start thinking about Mahud. And, uh, and Suladan, which eventually went to win the list. But Matt says, I meant to send this before the latest episode came out. I heard it today while at work and wanted to see what you think when you were saying about the Fellowship of Grantham. If I get the chance to go next year, this is what I would like to take. It's a green alliance and it includes Thror, the mighty Thror. Excellent, 120 points. Uh, nine Guardians of the King. And uh, as far as I remember, nine, the Guardians of the King are the Grimhammers, but with the Strength 4 up upgrade, which is ace. So throwing weapons, Strength 4, Fight 4, I think. Uh, that, so yeah, solid. Uh, then he allies in, because he has to, it's green alliance. Girion, Lord of Dale, with great bow. Four warriors of uh, Esgaroth with bows, uh, the big fancy bows. Uh, Thor, three Dale warriors, sorry. Um, with spear and shield one warrior with just a spear and four knights of dale and they're the ones that you they people charge them 
and you gain the bonus to wound if they if you've been charged which is cool and that's 423 points and it looks pretty cool to me uh that's quite a lot of warriors actually that's 12 plus uh, the nine uh, guardians uh so that's uh oh god that's 21 plus 23 so 23 models that's pretty good uh pretty, um i i don't you i'd like to see a banner in there but maybe that's just me um but that number of models with four escroth bows and nine throwing weapons it could be pretty scary um and the great thing about it is if you've got the nine throwing weapons and you've got the knights of dale on the front line as well that could be pretty filthy couldn't it because you'd be charging in with your knights of dale with uh, you know with your bows pulling people in from uh, strength three bows with Girion and his great bow which is like strength four or something stupid and then uh, everyone's going to r- want to run at that list and then you go plonk your knights of dale in and at the front and they go oh do i need to charge them maybe i have to do a scattered charge oh it could be quite fun yeah i like that idea uh, nice nice idea matt uh, any comments uh, if you have them Podcast at gmail.com um, maybe you know a bit more about Thror and Girion than I do uh, get in touch but Matt continues anyway I hope you're well enjoying the new job I look forward to meeting you in the flesh at the scouring of Cheshire yes I'm going to the scouring of Cheshire very excited for this this is um, an element game staple uh, in Stockport near Manchester I had intend to be heading there uh, and there's even a sort of plan I might not reveal it just yet but basically, Alex, Battle Camper Temple, uh, patron supporter and YouTuber extraordinaire, creator of amazing songs about dice and driver of vans uh, with poo buckets in. If you don't know anything at all about what I'm talking about, uh, head over to Battle Camper on YouTube. It's brilliant. Um, and Alex uh, basically asked me if I, can, if I wanted to help slash do something with him around the scouring of Cheshire. And I tentatively said yes. So uh, you'll find out a bit more about that in the future. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Right, one, Philip Ledbetter. Uh, he's been in touch recently and he's back in touch. hope this email finds you well. This will be a, a much briefer than the last one, which was a bit of an essay. I do apologise. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed the questions that need answering episode. It was great to hear so many differing viewpoints. Even those that tended the same way all had different reasons behind them. I know it's a lot of work on your end, but an episode like that every now and again with other, quote, hot topics would be great to hear. With that in mind, here are a few ideas for episodes. Now, um, I, I've... Ooh, I don't know whether to read all these out because um, I might actually use them at some point in the future because they're really good ideas. Um, I, I do, I liked the format to an extent. I think the only problem with the format is it's just me reading stuff out for a long time um, and that can get a bit stale. And um, as much as reading other people's uh, points out is good, I think you want to hear a little bit of variety in the episode. So I, I keep that in mind, um, but I definitely like your idea for... Um, some of the uh, the topics. Um, one of them is, does Grimbold need or deserve a horse in the game? Which is a can of worms. I think Lockie has, uh, off Zorpazorp Gaming on YouTube, has well and truly opened already and thrown all over the uh, the SBG world. So I don't think I need to touch that one. But it's, it's a good start. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to make sure that I revisit that one, Philip. Thank you very much for getting in touch. Um, finally, now this one, this is basically me being naughty. Um, because Carl Tinsley has been in touch, and Carl is 100% right. Um, I'll read his email in full, um, and I'll, I'll sort of answer it to, to the sort of level that you want. Um, but basically, Carl says, I felt the need to email you after a very quick segment in your last episode made me feel a little strange. 
During your segment about the WTC, you started down a questioning line which led you to say something like, quote, are you worried that uh, SBG will become a 40k kind of beard kind of competitive? At which point your guest admirably stopped you and said, well, let's not bash 40k. Now, the reason I feel a little strange about this is because I am a 40k player as well as an SBG player. Additionally, most of my immediate group of SBG players also play 40k. We are also somewhat miniature gaming enthusiasts and play, have played, and will play many more game systems beyond these two. In my experience, what I've noticed is that there is very little difference between all the communities for all the game systems. Every single one has been welcoming, fun, and the vast majority of people only there... uh, uh, vast majority of people only there the play sorry this and the vast amount of people only there that play games against the don't usually play games against sorry i'm not really sure um the structure of this sentence has got a bit confusing anyway the, yeah the, i'll carry on also when talking about the drive to be competitive i have seen online chatter and listened to podcasts which indicate mesbg also has people in it who strive to win at all costs I hope you don't take this as too much of a criticism here. I see this kind of sentiment about 40k in all of the non-40k communities I belong to. My question to you is, why do you think that is? I personally think it's unfounded and is instead fueled by the popularity of 40k. It's the biggest, most well-known game and takes limelight from other games. Its player base is also so big that it must inevitably attract all personality types, including those at the extremes. It also gets a level of support other systems must inevitably get jealous of. Sorry again for the criticism, but I hope my email may help shed a light on one 40k player's feelings. Carl, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm, I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the, uh, the, the words to explain what, what I was try, trying to grasp at. In an interview situation... Um, when you're sort of having a, a, a sort of chat with someone, as not just in an interview, but with any time, um, it's always difficult to find the the right words. I'm, you know, I wrote sort of, I always write down the old kind of idea of what I want to talk about with with guests. But when you're speaking to someone forty minutes, you're never going to um, uh, have a or twenty five or however long it was. You're never going to have all your questions written down. It's better to have a conversation. So when I said, "Are you worried the uh, SBG will become a forty k kind of beardy kind of competitive scene?" Um, I, I didn't mean to be offensive, uh, and I certainly apologise for that. And what I was trying to get at is, I guess the 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 SB. I'm kind of pointing at the fact that you you quite rightly um, pointed out in your message as well that you say uh, blah, 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 where was it that um, there's plenty of online chatter uh, which has MESBG players who also strive to win at all costs. There definitely are. Uh, I've spoken to them on the podcast. Um, I've played them, um, and they're they're lovely people as well. Um, but I guess what I was trying to get at with uh, the question I asked of Dave about the WTC is whether it's um, it's taking away the the game, taking the sort of element of the game about it being thematic and fun because it's based around the Lord of the Rings, and to sort of not forcing it down because you, nobody has to go down this alley but forcing it down or pushing it down an alley where it is likely to increase the kind of the competitive element of the game where you know maybe fewer of the people who who play the game are interested in Lord of the Rings and more interested in it being a really good game system and 
I, I find that that difficult because I love the Lord of the Rings. I love the theme of the Lord of the Rings. I love um, the the world, and I love everything about the characters. And and you know, growing up playing uh, playing SBG, um, you know, buying the the box sets when it came out, and and all those sorts of things. It's there's an element of nostalgia for that as well, and recreating those uh, battles um, feels fantastic to me. But I also love the game. The game is brilliant. Like I think Tim um, in a podcast recently, uh, I asked him about or mentioned three D printing because he had. Um, uh, some uh, 3D printed models. He said something along the lines of, "I could sell, I, you know, I could sell this game to anyone. Uh, you know, they could just be tokens for uh, for all I care." Um, and I, 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 as much as I, I, I think Tim's got a point. It's a really good game system, and you don't necessarily need it to be Lord of the Rings to to encourage people to play it. I, I do kind of, it kind of makes me sad in a way when people talk about it that way because. I love the, the the sort of theme of it as well, and I love being able to paint the models, the Lord of the Rings models, and the stuff that recreates the things in the game uh, from the films. So I guess what my question was kind of leaning towards was, is this kind of big competitive tournament, which to be fair, this whole podcast is about? You know, I'm going to the the Grand Prix, which uh, you know, world champion says this is going to be the most competitive tournament. Um. So, so I guess I, I'm I'm slightly concerned, and I know other people will be concerned about uh, this. These big tournaments that have got cash prizes, kind of encouraging a certain kind of gameplay, where um, where you know it's less likely that people are going to be bothered about the theme. So it's a tricky one um, because 40k is, as you quite rightly say, a, the big system. You know, it's the one that all of the other systems really want to be. It wants to have these. All of the other systems want the same audience. They want the same number of shops that have got things like it. They want Henry Cavill to be promoting it. You know, uh, all of the other systems want to do that. Um, and I and I don't. I I've got 40k armies, and I don't like the game. I don't think it's very good. Um, but equally, I can. I think it's fun. Like I enjoy the game. I think it's fun, but I don't like playing it in a competitive way because I don't think it's. I don't think it's very good in that sense and I'm quite happy to be you know you tell me I'm wrong for that because I just disagree and that's okay but you're right I should not be saying that uh, the 40k will become a, a beardy competitive blah 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 scene because you're right there are plenty of people who play uh, 40k who who you know don't play in a beardy uh, quote way and maybe beardy is a bad I mean I've got a beard you can hear it right here it's, uh, I've got a beard a <laughs> uh, beard's not an offensive thing to me I just think there's a certain uh, it means to me a certain kind of sort of um, competitive player um, which you know can get a bit sort of anal about the rules and all that sort of stuff but as you say there are plenty of them in Lord of the Rings uh, I've certainly played them so I, I guess um, that's a long long winded way of saying I'm sorry um, and trying to explain what I meant by that um, but you've you've hit the nail on the head. It's a really good point. Why do we bash 40k? So, I'm opening that up to the listeners once again. Um, is this a question that needs answering topic? I don't know. Why do we bash 40k? And what is so much better about Middle Earth strategy battle game than 40k? Is it is it worth bashing uh, 40k? Should we be doing that? I don't know. I really, really do want to know your opinions on this because I bet you 90% of my listeners have also either played 40k in the past or uh, uh, still have armies now and still occasionally play. Let me know. I really want to know. Um, what is it about 40k that, that gives it the bad rep? Why Why is there this kind of 
attitude of um, of it being a bit, as I said, beardy or, you know, a bit competitive or toxic, I've heard people say. I really, really, and I've heard, definitely heard people use that phrase. Tell me, let me know, what do you think? And, uh, you know, what, do you think I was wrong to, to sort of go down on it? like that <laughs> go down and that sounds like I'm uh, I'm being very generous on a romantic evening but no uh, be a bit down on it in that way um, as uh, as um, Carla said uh, that's a fair point and also as Dave said let's not bash 40k um, thanks very much for getting in touch really really appreciate this uh, don't worry about the criticism I, I'm very thick skinned about this sort of stuff you could call me a, a com- anything under the sun and I would be absolutely fine with it and people have on YouTube so don't worry um, so yeah get in touch at com. if you think well you know if why you think people are down on 40k great thank you so much for introducing that topic who knows this could spiral out of control for another few episodes i'd like that uh right let's move on now because we've talked long enough about the game we've talked long enough about 3d printing and 40k which is strange because it's the middle of the podcast um we've talked about lots of different things uh, we've got my army the 600 point army of numenor elendil captain 32 models in total we've got five points of might big sword of doom got a lance we got all the stuff you want everyone's got a spear will that make any difference at the tournament let's head to the grand prix Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines for the Grand Prix. Uh, this is game one of seven. It's going to be a busy, very long weekend, and it's a, quite a setting. A huge baronial hall built in the Tudor times, I think, judging from the architecture. Tapestries hanging from the ceilings, big chandeliers. It's all very exciting. Seven games, it's going to be exhausting, but we're starting off with my Numenor against Tom Wagg. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. It's been a while since, uh, since we played, but um, we have sort of occasionally... Uh, uh, butted heads over the uh, the intermediary years so uh, first big 600 points this is a competitive tournament so we're all hoping to do well here what have you brought for your 600 points well, i brought my um umbar list with suladan aladdin because a six inch banner is just really good yeah he's, he's great he's, he's such good value isn't he 120 points or something like that is it was even less 115 115 points with the big banner with a huge stand fast all these sorts of things it's, it's very good so um the scenario is fog of war, so that's the one where you've got to kill a hero, protect a hero, and capture the terrain piece, which I guess already puts me at a disadvantage, because usually there's a bit of a guessing game, but you know you're going to have to kill the captain, and I know I'm going to have to protect the captain. Yeah, yeah, uh, the 12-inch deployment against the shooty army also made it... And the train's, the train's good, but a bit sparse. It's, it's also kind of weird, because um, there's one side of the board that's got this uh, tra- this house, there's like a wall that's uh, st- stood next to the house, and then behind the house there's like a garden area which has got hedges surrounding it. So they, you couldn't really flank round that sort of right flank, and uh, so you kind of had to come through this massive gap and take a few hits. So, yeah, it wasn't a great start for me. Um, but I, I kind of decided I'm going to hide behind the house on the, my far left, your far right, and then basically swing round and hope that uh, I can avoid the boast of the shooting. Do you think that was the right move? Uh, yeah, I, um, I didn't kill as much against you as I probably could have done. Um, 
I did forfeit shooting a little bit just because I wanted to get off the board a bit because obviously you have to get a terrain piece. Um, and my shooting achieved what I needed to achieve, so. Yeah, I mean, you took out like three or four guys a turn most most of those first three turns. So when, when the lines did clash, my 32 model army had become about a 20 model army or, or similar, and I'd lost a horse Melanil, which I knew had happened. Um, and your model, uh, 40 something model army was was all pretty safe, apart from one or two models that I killed in shooting. So yeah, the, the once that happened, you've got the you've got the traps uh, potential, and with your army, traps is very good because you've got the backstabbers rule. Um, yeah, I don't actually have as many, because I've got some Black New Orleans, there's not as many Corsairs as he is, but because it applies to hero, a hero who has re-roll or failed wounds, it's, it's good when you get him and do a trap. Yeah. And of course, I actually don't know, uh, we haven't revealed it yet, um, I don't know what um, uh, character you were trying to protect, which one did you go for? Uh, the captain, because you could just stand there with a crossbow and hide behind the lines calling moves. And even though it didn't really happen, normally Sullivan goes into fights because he's pretty good on a horse. Yeah, he was understandably scared of Elendil because I, I had chosen to kill Sullivan um, because I, figuring exactly what you said, he, he's more likely to be in combat. And I think it, as soon as I make a beeline for the captain, you're like, I'm going to hightail it out of here. There's no point him hanging around if, if he knows that someone's going to threaten him. So, so in the end, um, I, I think... I think it was a difficult choice of heroes, but um, as you say, Suladan's quite happy to just stand behind the ban- uh, stand behind the lines with a six-inch banner, spending might on moves if he needs to. But yeah, he, he's he's pretty solid behind the lines. But once the lines kind of did clash, uh, you know, you're obviously going to try and kill my captain. I'm trying to use Elendil to crack through the lines. There's it's kind of not a lot needed to uh, happen for you to to win there. It was just kind of make sure you 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 don't lose disastrously in the first turn, I guess. Yeah, plus you were so far from it. I don't know what your terrain piece was, but you were really, you were quite far from the terrain pieces, so you weren't getting that. I had to sneak into mine and hope you didn't send someone in there. Yeah. And just block Elendor from the heroes and maybe go for the captain, but you protected the captain quite well. Yeah, I, I did. I did work, work quite hard to protect the captain. He fluffed a couple of heroics. In fact, most of my heroes, uh, two, both of them, fluffed their heroic combats a couple of times. Elendil killed probably five models in total which is pretty poor for for Elendil when you really want him to be cracking through threatening the big heroes was it only two in the end he got one combat off went in lost the fight then he lost the next fight and then he was fighting yeah he fought Dalamir and lost the roll off against Dalamir as well and lost the last combat when he was trapped and he got trapped and stomped on by yeah oh god he was awful I was thinking that he'd done a bit more work than that but he hadn't he got Uh, a move yeah he got a couple of moves I guess which was handy but but still once yeah you're right I think my my problem was I'd chosen the one the one area that I could deploy on which was sort of avoided shooting uh, or avoid sort of protecting most of my army from shooting but I was never going to be able to protect all of my army from shooting so I think what I should have done is is deploy in the big zone where I know I'm going to get shot but I was getting shot anyway so it kind of didn't really matter because there was there was always someone that you could shoot at so I think and then I could have marched a couple of turns instead of kind of squeezing myself through a bottleneck where the march wasn't going to help as much do you think that would have been a better idea? Probably but you did manage to save your mic by not marching yeah. which got you a move yeah he fluffed his combat so that one was kind of yeah I think I think the march would have been a better one than failing the heroic combat which the captain did he charged into two Numen, uh, black Numenorians, thinking I need to get these these scary dudes gone 
uh, and then called the heroic combat and squiffed it. So that, that's, that's always a shame when those sorts of things happen. But I think realistically, this is a very tough scenario for me against your army. The deployment doesn't help. Um, I, I made some mistakes, but ultimately I think you had a big advantage by being able to stand and shoot with your uh, 10 crossbows and a few extra bows from the normal dudes. And then, um, and then yeah, you just, you've got the, the, the mystery of the captain. No, and you, kind of, you probably know that I'm going to go for Suladan, and you also know that you're protecting your captain. So it means that I have to kill two heroes to get the same points that you need to kill for the captain. So, yeah, I think I was on a hiding to nothing. Not that I, yeah, I, I, maybe, I definitely made mistakes, but it was a difficult match for me, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But either way, 12-0 uh, victory to you, Tom. So that means you're in trouble because you're heading up to the top tables in a very competitive tournament. How do you fancy your chances? Yeah, I was kind of hoping I didn't kill the captain and took a 9-3 yeah. win, but... I guess I don't have to move far because we're already on table two. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, at least you don't have to move your trail model as well. Uh, with that in mind, I'm going to pack my models up and head to the bottom tables for game number two. So we move on to game two, uh, retrieval in the sort of naughty corner. There's basically two <laughs> buildings here. Um, uh, there's the baronial hall I described in the first, uh, first game, which is fantastic. It's got chandeliers. And then there's the slightly less fancy hall that's got like paper, wallpaper that looks like it's a fancy library but it's really not <laughs> so we're on bottom table 44 uh, <laughs> which is this is a great start right um, so uh, I lost the 12-0 first one and uh, playing up against the only other person in the tournament who also got 12-0 it's Rich Fitzgerald hello hello how are you yeah, yeah we're all good and um, obviously it's a sad start of the tournament to have lost 12-0 but we go, in, we go into it with high hopes into the game number two. It's retrieval. First of all, Rich, uh, what have you got in your army that did so poorly in game number one that we ended up in the same spot? Um, so I've got a Mordor mix. I've got the Witch King, the Mouth Sauron, and Gorbag. Yeah, and you've got about 40, was it 40 exactly? Yeah, 40 models, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you've got, and you've got Moranans in there, and you've yeah. got normal orcs in there. So it's a pretty stra uh, standard kind of list. I mean, first of all, before we talk about this one, um, ha what happened in your first game? Uh, I played Ed Ball. Uh, so, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. Renowned uh, uh, gamer. He's w won many GBHL uh, leagues over the years and uh, brought the Black Riders. Yes, he did, yeah. The Ledger Legion, yeah. And he just basically black darted me and then evaporated my Witch King and then my Orcs ran away. That is yeah. brutal. So, with that in mind, you've just had that uh, experience in the first round. We come up onto the bottom table against me with my Numenor. What did you think? Did you, did you fancy your chances at the start of the game? Kind of, because I've got more models, but then the Numenor are just so strong, the better fight, and then they just... My orcs just got smashed, to be fair. Yeah. I think, I think the, the main thing here, actually, is was the deployment. Because it's a qu table qu uh, diagonally divided yeah, yeah. by the table. The retrieval, by the way, is the capture the flag one. There's two ob objectives 15 inches from the corner each, and then you divide, uh, deployed in the ha uh, table half diagonally. There's these two huge terrain pieces, which I think in a normal... Um, Deployment where it's sort of uh, it's along the yeah yeah but if it was on the horizontal it, they wouldn't have made as much of a difference but because it was diagonal we had to break through this huge there's one of those half um, Ammon hen bits and there's another uh, I, I think it's a Sigma um, altar of death or something uh, and so it meant we had this line in the middle which was I don't know about 18 inches long and we I could line up spear to spear completely in a shield wall and you kind of had to do the same because there was no way you were going to go around no, I couldn't, I, there's not enough turns to get around the side so and even if I did you probably would have 
got mine because he would have broke me in the middle. Yeah. So he's kind of just let, line up against each other and just go straight at it. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether there was much really you could do. The only thing I think maybe you could have done differently was was sending uh, your heroes first rather than sending the orcs first. But I guess with the threat of Elendil kicking about, um, you know, as well. I don't want to lose that early wounds for no sort of reason while I'm charging in. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's tricky. But I, I know um, one one mistake that I did notice you you did a couple of times, which was Gorbag has a really cool special rule where he, if you charge two people, you get plus one fight and an, an extra attack. And he was often fighting one person on his own, so he was fighting Numenorians with fight four uh, with a spear. So he didn't have as much of an advantage as he could have done and then but having said that you did remind me though it did work I did eventually <laughs> remind you yeah uh, but having said that it basically went from him not doing very much to him holding up Elendil for like three turns yeah he did pretty well yeah he did alright on his own there I mean he did have a lot of magic to help him though um, yeah I mean you did I think it was uh, three black darts to try and get rid of my horse uh, I think I spent one might on the first one you failed to wound on the second one and the you, third turn you did get the horse and then you spent uh, a few, couple of immobilizers as well but I think that might have been your downfall spending so much magic your witch king's got 3-12-3 so, uh, so it was you know relatively low on resources and, and you kind of have to make a decision with these sorts of games do you fight with him and spend all his will in yeah. combat or do you spend a lot on magic and I think personally I wouldn't have gone so hard on magic because I've got so much resistance to magic that it might not crack through having said that you did wound him and you did take him off his horse so it was worth it yeah, but in the just spent too much resources trying to do it that yeah. was the problem yeah and I think and I was quite happy to accept that because I'm immobilized a couple of turns in a row because uh, you spent quite a lot of will immobilizing him but yeah. once you've run out of will he just he just stands up, he's mobile, and he just chops, and that's eventually what he did. I mean, he didn't do loads of work, but he he nearly killed uh, Gorbag in one go. Uh, he chopped through a load of orcs, and and he just held the line firmly. He did get wounded, but he was fine after that. And I think the problem was my new Menorians were doing so much work. That's the thing, because you were chopping through more. He yeah. did, he like he was the early rounds. He wasn't doing as much, but then as soon as they started chopping through, I couldn't keep him contained enough yeah. to sort out them as well and so I think one or the other and he just end up chopping for everyone as well and I think the, re the because of that um, my Elendil I'm happy for Elendil to duel against your heroes because your heroes are then not not using their fight value advantage against my Numenor yeah, yeah. and then my Numenorians are just fighting better matchups against the Orcs yeah, yeah. so eventually I'm churning through it and I did and I then eventually got round and did the, ra uh, the um, traps and all that sort of stuff yeah. and eventually after much deliberate not deliberation after much kind of ch pushing through the captain managed to make make the run for it and um, and grab the objective in the sort of couple of couple of turns before the end which which did give me the uh, the uh, the relic uh, and also by this point the witch king was on two will I think and then he did one final immobilize and then was you would had you're, you're surrounding him with Moranans to try and shield him off from combat which in the late turn, turns of the game I had sort of 10 dead or 10 or 11 or something like that and you had like nearly 30 so I was just the game with the terrain he got pinned in he couldn't yeah. escape because yeah. you came round and flanked one side he was trapped to the other and he couldn't yeah. go anywhere so it he was, just got picked it, off in the end exactly it was like uh, just forcing him to a corner and I knew eventually I'd get someone to charge him yeah. and I did and he popped in the final turn and that yeah. was kind of kind of game but Rich it was it was a cracking game I mean there were a couple of because we had a um, I don't know whether you told me or whether someone else had said at the start uh, it ends on 25% so I, think I, it, I think it was me I think yeah, I did, yeah. The, which is fine um, but so I, I was kind of timing the everything I was, I was setting up some combats where I could shield to make sure that I didn't kill the guys so that I could just 
find the opportune moment, get win priority or whatever to ca capture the Witch King and, and sort it. And then there was this moment where we we're like, oh, it ends unbroken. We're like, uh-oh, so uh, I, I kind of mistimed it um, because, of, because of the different end conditions. I thought, anyway. yeah, I, yeah, I did. I, luckily, luckily, if, if the game had ended that one turn, I think uh, it would have been something like 3-1 to me. Uh, or maybe a little bit more because uh, I'd broken you, but it was close. But it ended up being a what was it? A, a eight, eight one. Oh, is it eight one? Okay, I need to tell them. I think I told them nine one, so I need to go and get that changed. Uh, I, I think it's probably eight. Looking at the score, but either way, eight one. And um, so sadly, that that could mean that you're staying on the bottom table, but it doesn't mean that I'm going up a bit. Yes. But either way, it was a cracking game, Rich. And I know we played before. We've had a practice game a while back when I yeah. first got the Dragon Emperor. Uh, so. Uh, and you can, I think that was one of your first games, wasn't it? Or it was very so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't wasn't like early on in when I started getting back into it. So, so, so you the start. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that from here on in you'll you'll be fine. You've got plenty of magic and you've got loads of dudes. Just a, a pretty rough matchup for you. Hopefully, it'll get better. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get any worse. Anyway. Yeah, you can't get any worse. Yeah. It's time for a drink, I think. Right, let's head into game number three. Game number three, divide and conquer, and we're still in the uh, the sort of kiddie pen, uh, the secondary hall where we're not quite able to go to the top tables yet. But after the the success in the previous round, have we fared here? We've got uh, Jacob Vivian, uh, the opponent today. Uh, first of all, give us a run through of your list, Jacob, uh, and then we'll. Ha uh, and also, did you fancy your chances? So run through the list. What do you think? So I bought uh, a Rohan Wos's Green Alliance. Um, so uh, I didn't go for the Legendary Legion, so I could uh, max out on Wos's. So 25 Wos's, including Garn, with 10 riders, uh, all with throwing spears with AMR. So kind of really going for a ranged army threat. Yeah, um, and, and of course, divide and conquer. So this is the one where you've got, you split your army up and it comes on in quarters. So when you saw that scenario, what did you think? So I actually thought it was a, a decent one for me. Um, especially given that um, the army I was facing, obviously yours, was uh, only two cav were the, uh, the, the leaders. Um, I, I've never played Numenor before, and I've never played um, Elendil with his free heroic combat. Um, so I did fancy my chances at the start. I thought it'd be close, um, but um, I thought the maneuverability advantage would um, give me the edge. Yeah, that's fair, because Gan has marched, doesn't he? So, he does, yeah. And you did a march early on, and you've got the Cav on the other side. So your army, fe it felt like it was going to unite quicker than it did, um, or the, certainly than mine would on paper. But I guess the, the thing is, you want to shoot with your army as well. So, Because uh, you, you marched forward quite quickly with 25 Roses, but then I think you kind of held off, ready to pepper, pepper the, the incoming Numenor. And I wonder whether that just kind of allowed me to jump to the middle quicker. I think, well, there were two things, really. I, lo I, I won priority on the first two turns, which I really didn't want. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I panicked because I saw um, your captain and, um, what's his name, uh, Elendil, coming towards the center in a direction that looked like they were heading towards my Woses. And I suddenly panicked because I realized, although my Woses had a good firing line for the center, uh, if you came round the side, um, it, it, it wouldn't look good for me. The heroic uh, feint, that's what I was yeah, trying to yeah, yeah. yeah, so I basically suddenly panicked. So for one turn, I basically didn't do anything with my woes because I was getting ready to be able to fire blowpipes in case you charged. And that was turn I had one priority. And so I then raced my cavalry forward thinking I better get these cavalry over because at least he's let, if he attacks my woes, he'll leave his inventory behind, his... Um, at least Elendil, I can get my cavalry in there before his infantry arrive. Mm. However, um, I fell for the bluff yeah. because then you completely turned on my cav and then I realized I'd made a terrible mistake yeah. because I'd allowed uh, my cavalry, given that maneuverability was my big advantage in shooting, 
I hadn't done any shooting with my cavalry and allowed my cavalry to get caught. And then I basically started panicking and all the battle plan basically started falling apart i, I realized that because there, there was a bit where so you so you ran I, i'm trying to think we're, I'm, we're on a different side of the table so it's perplexing me where we were but anyway you you were kind of running in the middle and and i got this chance to charge both the captain um and ellendale into a rider each and also send two guys into two into one of with the captain uh, two riders uh, yeah with the captain that's right so I, I pinned down quite a lot of guys in the first turn uh, and you you kind of ran away, like, and I thought what the, I thought the logical move there for me if, uh, would have been for you to just basically surround them and hope that you you know you kill someone or at least you stop me doing heroic combats and stuff. Instead, you kind of moved in towards the middle a bit with your cav, and it allowed me to do to be fighting one guy with Elendil, um, who you like to fancy your chances that he'll win that fight, and then heroic combat out and take everyone off. So it gave me a really good chance at killing Airmare in the first turn, yeah. which which I think might have been a mistake if you'd. Have kind of lent AMR into the captain's side and kind of capitalised on the fact that I w I'd gone a little piecemeal with only two heroes and two model, uh, uh, two other Numenorians. Um, then you might have been able to pin them in place and stuff. I was banking on the fact that the, the fight value would win, which it did because you didn't kind of stack dice against me. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And it all came down to the fact that my battle, my battle plan had been to shoot out their horses. And so... That's why I was scared of, and that's why I charged. Yeah, particularly. So, I mean, it was, it was. I, I realized, I, yeah, my mind went into meltdown. Basically, <laughs> I was aware of the tournament as well, and that I was starting to faff a lot, and yeah. starting to. So that made me like, my brain just got started not thinking properly. I think you're right, though. Actually, in your early turns, you, you, you took quite. But maybe it was because of that threat of Ellen Dill and the captain maybe coming into your woeses. You were kind of shimmying your, your woeses backwards and forwards, thinking, "Oh, what do I do?" And then I think I, maybe. I, would, I planted the seed of doubt in your mind. It wasn't intentional, but I think I said at one point, oh, you're, you're a thinker, aren't you? Because like, I, I thought you were, you were taking real care on how you moved. And I wonder whether that came across like I was saying, what? you're going really slowly and you need to hurry it, up. It and did. then you go like, oh, crap, it I need did. to hurry up. It did a bit, but partly because well, I play with friends and they often say I take too long with my turns. So being a tournament, I didn't want to be that guy kind of, particularly because the game was going against me, I didn't want to be that guy yeah. kind of drawing it out so I could potentially get a draw. <laughs> um, well, I, yeah, no, I think, yeah, no, I, I basically, yeah, I battle plan went away and I panicked. I thought, going to try and link up my cavalry with my... Um, uh, with my woses, I mean, you saw there. I did a hurt comp. I did a hurt combat because I thought I can get AM out of there. Realized as soon as I'd called it that I was blocking AM with my own troops, and I was just like, "Yeah, my mind's. Yeah. I'm not thinking straight now. I'm just, yeah." yeah. I think you're right. You, the, the idea of trying to join your two two armies together was was a, 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 obviously a logical choice. I think the problem was. I, I had just enough guys on this side to sort of block you off for maybe an extra turn that they were sort of tagging you enough to just keep holding you up for a, a turn after a turn and you because you were because you'd sent so many of your cavalry there's like to paint a picture of it there's like a square of uh, houses in the middle and then these like barricades scattered like crates scattered in the middle which just created that rather than a dead zone in the middle um, it created this kind of really annoying terrain to move around and I think it meant that, that you'd sent all of your cavalry through this kind of barricade stuff but they were kind of blocking each other off because of the way they'd gone through and filtered through in, in one go so I, I think that meant that you couldn't back away in the way that you wanted to and it just allowed me that opportunity to, to pin you down and then of course Ellen Neal going heroic combat I've got fight seven what are you going to do 
means that you're like, ah, oh, what do I do? Heroic combat, try and get out of there. Do I call the strike? And then next turn, you've, you've spent a might on the strike when you didn't need to, and then you've not got enough might to call the moves. So it all just starts kind of yeah. spiraling. Exactly, exactly. And um, I mean, to be fair, my woes is I felt performed quite well. I, yeah. got, I got about eight or nine kills with the blowpipes, which I was very happy with. Um, I think by doing that you gave up position because like yes you've killed loads of Numenorians from shooting but you killed very few in the combats because you had uh, the riders I kind of took a good couple of dudes off in the first few turns and then it kind of it meant that your guys were quite far behind so they either stood and shot continually but because we're in combat and you're good you can't shoot into it so you'd kind of given up the idea of ever claiming that middle objective which is worth five points although actually well, you did deny it at the end with well, one so guy I wasn't I wasn't so my plan well obviously I had about 13-14 guys run on yeah. my first turn breaking so my oh, yeah, plan, awful, my plan yeah, yeah. had been to break I, I basically once I saw my cavalry going I was going to send my final few roasters into that that bit I'd already claimed one objective and my plan was basically to overrun the middle objective have more models than you and potentially get three plus three points for six and maybe eke out a draw or even maybe a minor win um, but as soon as Garn ran and then everyone else started running yeah it, it, it was, was quite quite bad that I think it was a double one on Garn so he was gone he'd already spent his gun was gone hey here we go uh, and the I think it was what would you count is it seven or eight uh, uh, what was it more oh, it was longer it was, it was 12 12, 12 guys in the last turn which I mean I don't think it would changed a lot in that last turn but it was certainly enough I, you might have been able to maybe just about yeah. eke out a draw in the central objective, but I had quite a lot of Numenor. I have got two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven, twelve, maybe on the objective in the centre. I think you're going to struggle to get enough into to overwhelm me, but yeah. maybe given another turn, it would have been fine. It but was a hopeful plan. A hopeful plan, <laughs> fine. Well, Jacob, either way, it was, it was a really good game. I can sense that you were uh, you were tested, and I was tested as well. It wasn't easy uh, facing up against this many Woses, and it's not what I expected when you said you had Gan uh, Woses and Airmare. So. A cracking game and best of luck in the rest of the tournament. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Game number four, Contest of Champions, and I've moved up in the world because earlier we were in the echoey, horrible children's hall where, uh, you know, it was, it was horrible and echoey and that's where all the bottom tables are. Elevated myself after that win just now up into the dizzying heights of table number 15 and who do I stumble into? Former GBHL champion, Alistair King. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Good to be back after a while. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, because uh, obviously we've interviewed you before for winning things and also being a tournament organiser, but uh, I think this is maybe only our second game ever. I, we're not even sure it's the second game. Yeah. We can't remember the first. Even the first one was so unmemorable yeah. that it's not worth remembering or uh, we actually haven't played. Yeah, I suspect either you gave me a real good fisting when, you didn't, when we didn't really know each other that well or, or we just never played before. So with that in mind, we said Contest of Champions, round four. I've got Ellendil. I'm liking Contest of Champions. But what did you have? Give us a run through of your list. So my list is Gothmog, uh, who gets Master of Battle uh, automatically, which does mean with Belendil he can kind of keep pace in theory. Uh, and then Zagdush, Gorbag, and a drum. So fast moving, hard hitting, orcs, with then like 15 Moranans with spears and shields, one has a banner, nine Morgul stalkers, which, because a lot of people don't know what they do, are essentially hunter orcs, but courage free, and then they get the immortal armor bo uh, army bonuses and stalk unseen, which wasn't relevant in this game. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and four trackers and two Morgul knights. It's. I, I think the the Morgul stalkers are one of those ones that. You look at them in the list, and they look like they're good, uh, but you just don't see them. Because if you think um, a hunter orc army, 
they're solid. They're they're rock solid. So why do people not take Morgul Stalkers as like a spam list with with the Mordor heroes, which I think have more magic and and some better hitters? So there's two reasons. Morgul Stalkers are ten points a model, so they're two points more than uh, Huntwalk, and also. I'm not sure they're available at the moment. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, they're not available. Yeah. So they're two. So they're two points more because they have the one plus courage and the one plus and, uh, yeah. the the stock and scene. Yeah. So yeah, paying a slight premium, I suppose. But but the advantage that they have them because I have previously taken a Huntwalk list, which is kind of similar to this with Bolg allied in from Art of Battle, is they benefit from the Mordor army bonus and uh, they benefit from like Gothmorgs, like special stuff. And if I had a Shaman list, which I don't, they would also get Fury in that. So. Yeah, so there are definitely some upsides. So with that in mind, obviously we've never played before, but I think you're, you listen to the podcast occasionally, so you know the sort of standard of play that I, I, I tend to exhibit. And you're obviously a GBHL winner. You've won many tournaments in the past. Did you fancy your chances? Um, it was not the scenario I'd want to play you at, but I knew because Gothmog has Master Battle, I have a chance to like keep pace, but it's never going to be a against Alendo and contest it's never going to be a good sort of like yay <laughs> yay you can win because <laughs> oh shit you know I get that it's fine so um, the big thing here I guess is the terrain here because right in the middle we literally have an arena of death so there's a, a terrain piece which is sort of difficult terrain and it's got hedges all the way around this terrain except like a three four inch maybe maybe less eight eight by six with a three inch gap at one end yeah. which was my deployment end yeah so so Ali could go into said uh, thing because it was in the centre of the board I deployed Elendil right in this arena of death uh, with and the captain was on the outside of the hedge and you put Gothmog on the outside of the hedge so instinctively I think well you that's, that seems to be the right choice you're not going to fight Elendil in hand to hand combat and win I guess no, no, because you're going to spend your might striking. You might not kill him, and then I will just stomp you at some point. The, the, the problem is, one, I'm at a two fight value disadvantage if I'm striking anyway. I've only got one in three chance to get to ten, and I mean I get plus one to wound because I'm a hatred man, but you're probably more likely to kill me if we do because we're strength five base with plus one to wound. Yeah. Um, so it's not a match up I fancy. So putting him outside of the hedge where there's some nice more squishy like Numenorians seem like the safer bet. Yeah. And fairly early on you you kind of you basically you flubbed your first heroic combat which was because uh, you got a free one because you were within six but Elendil didn't. So I kind of got the early lead by two models or something like that. And essentially, you didn't ever really catch up. I think there, there might have been a turn where you were closer, but I, I was just edging, edging ahead all the time. And, and I threw, threw my captain into you, for example, to try and slow you down with a fight five, but that didn't pay off. Um, but generally, it just felt like it was a slight uphill battle. Yeah, I was always essentially one behind, which isn't a situation you want to be in because... I couldn't stop a Lendl killing guys, which meant that I couldn't rely on me breaking you and you not breaking me. Mm. And then we get into the problem where I'm going, I, I'm running out of Numenorians I can kill. I don't want the game to end. And so I have to start doing some more high-risk plays, yeah. uh, like charging my Fight 4 heroes. They have strike, but they're at a big disadvantage against a Lendl, into a Lendl just to hope to stall him or possibly get lucky and win the combat. And of course, in Contest of Champions, if you kill a hero, you get a might point back. So, so I actually I, I spent a couple of points of might and I gained two points back. Uh, no, one point back. Um, 
with, by killing Zagdush, uh, which was really helpful because it gave me an extra point of might to be able to move around, call a strike against Gorbag when perhaps I wouldn't normally have done that. But I think ultimately it can, it, there was a perfect combination for me of priority wins and roll-off wins, I suppose, to just be able to box um, your uh, Gothmog off in a place where he did eventually jump over the hedge, get into the killing zone, but because of the way I, the priority landed, I'd managed to tie him down with just one guy, and then you could charge just one guy, and in the meantime, I was still killing two guys a turn, which which just meant I just kept, as, as you said, an edge ahead. Yeah, I was essentially having to delay the game, hoping luck happened for yeah. me and not enough luck did happen for me and with Numenor the one thing you can do is stab and you, you reliably can die <laughs> like I can charge you don't have because you've got the Morgul Stalkers I can charge one of my guys into Morgul Stalker and know I've got a good chance of losing and dying which is always handy and um, so I was trying intentionally to kill myself in some ways but I was just collapsing anyway I'd already I'd already lost so many guys in the middle to the Moran and Morgul Stalker line that it, it wasn't I, I didn't have to make a concerted effort to kill myself it just was inevitably happening and then Gothamog kills that one guy in the last turn quarters me and ends the game and I ended up with how many was it 15 kills in the because yeah because I, I did a, a, a storming turn the last couple of turns where I killed like three or four dudes in a, uh, in a go and you just I boxed you off and you only managed to kill one or two so you ended up with 10 kills with Gothmog which means a 4-1 victory so I'm pretty happy with that I mean is there anything that, um, that you think you could have done differently to, to change that result Roll better, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but it's true. I, to be yeah. fair, I needed to flub a result, like, yeah. and it just didn't happen. Yeah. I, I, I got, I've got four dice in the banner, so you, you like your chances of getting the six or whatever and winning the combat. But it just never happened, and, yeah. and in games where I'm so reliant on Elendil, it, 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 it worked. It, it's a disappointment when you got a low fight value army, which mine is generally compared to yours. I'm relying on the opponent not rolling a six, and you're always going to have some games where. Especially with Elendil, who should be rolling a six most combats, but usually across a game he maybe won't do. And then you hope that's when you roll a six. And you either train him on this might or take out his horse kind of thing. Yeah. And then suddenly it's more manageable. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it's kind of just one of those sort of like double edged going I can kill you really easily. But also, it was at the point where I didn't want the game to end, but then Elender was killing me enough that I was possibly going to drop below 25%. So it's an uphill battle, which I lost this time. Yeah. But it was good fun. It was good fun. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't think there were... Often I say to people I've, I've beaten, I try and give them some sort of advice, but that, that you, played it, you played it perfectly, you did all the moves in the right way. I mean, maybe being... Maybe you could have stalled the end of the game a little bit, but I don't really see how at this point because Gothmog needed to keep keep up. And if if I'm killing three guys a turn, you need to be killing two or three guys a turn. And by doing that, you are by by uh, yeah, you're getting closer to 25 percent at the end of the game. The, the, the only chance I really had at the end was getting Gothmog into a Lendel before you ran away yeah. and hope that was when you flubbed your dice rolls. Yeah, and then I kill a Lendel, and yeah. then that would suddenly flip it because I'll get the bonus points for yes that. you get the three for killing the leader which sadly I mean you, you maybe in the next turn you had a chance of that but realistically um, that was that was it that was it so uh, Ali well done um, that puts you on what two and two yeah so because uh, I'm officially a has-been yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, be, as I've been told many times this season already yeah in my two events better no which means that the bar is the destination for tonight and we'll see what happens well it also means that I have now got three wins and one loss. I don't know whether that puts me in the very top pod. I'm hoping it doesn't. I'd quite like to be in the second pod, if there is a second pod. I'm not quite sure how it all works, but we'll find out in a matter of seconds, and we'll find out exactly what's going on. It's all very exciting. Yes, ladies and gentlemen of the moot, you heard that correctly.
three wins and one loss in the day. And I'll be honest, I'll start off by saying thank you very much, Thomas Wagg. <laughs> Tom Wagg uh, played in the first game, his Dalamere, Sullivan and Captain Force with 41 models against my dudes, and he absolutely destroyed me in Fog of War. And um, if it wasn't for that 12-0 loss, uh, I guess... I wouldn't have been down in the 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 pen of uh, of, of sort of, uh, of disaster where everyone had uh, had done uh, fairly poorly, um, which may well have helped me um, in terms of the the sort of not having to play any of the top tier players um, straight away and you know sort of recover my strength and sort of you know work out what I was actually doing with the list a bit. And um, that's not to criticise Richard uh, Fitzgerald, who I played the second de- game against, or Jacob, uh, or indeed Ali King, uh, who I played uh, just then. So because I actually I actually think I I, I played well and I think the opponents uh, have played really well against me as well. I mean Tom Wag absolutely destroyed me. Um, in the first game and I like to think that maybe if I'd have deployed differently and just marched at him rather than trying to fanny around uh, circling around the um, the terrain and, and just causing problems for myself if I'd just launched at him uh, maybe I would have taken about the same number of losses and actually collided in a better way so that that was a mistake in the first game and I think maybe I recovered from that, that mistake and I, I kind of I was being a little bit more analytical um, in my thinking in the next couple of games. So against Richard, um, we just had this huge, huge gap in the middle where it was kind of, it was almost like it was designed for a shield wall in the middle. Um, And retrieval helped perfectly because the deployment meant um, a kind of diagonal uh, deployment zone just meant that we, we were kind of funneled into this perfect size gap. And I was able to fight his... Um, Moranans and Orcs with my superior fight value um, and, you know, with my heroes that were just uh, able to do some work and just shield line versus shield wall, sorry, shield versus shield wall I was just I, I was just able to uh, grind out the win there just by tr- killing his troops and it, it almost didn't really matter in the end whether I got the retrieval objective or not, but I did, uh, or sort of moved it a little bit in the, in, in the end anyway. So um, Richard, um, I, I think it was just a, a product of circumstance really in a different world. He may well have uh, well done quite well against me, but perhaps not the most... I don't know. I, I wondered whether his his list could have done with a bit of sort of tweaking to just just improve the the sort of points efficiency of some things. Um, uh, but I'm not sure. And and he and he did admit himself that you know there are a couple of tricks um, that that perhaps he missed that I was using and and that perhaps he could have used against me. But either way, um, I, you know I don't want to uh, I don't want to shit all over my opponents because I, I I didn't have any easy games uh, in day one at all. And um, Jacob, uh, interesting again. I think this. I, uh, the deployment really didn't help here because um, he sort of fell into my trap a little bit and maybe uh, uh, just uh, I don't know there was something about it that he didn't put his uh, his uh, woeses in a threatening enough position and didn't push them into the middle um, when, when he had loads and loads of woeses if he'd have got into the middle at the start I would have been pretty worried about what you know actually being able to crack the back of them and clear them off the objective before before the end of the game but as it happened he kind of left them watching them the central objective and shooting at the central objective but um you know not actually claiming the central objective until they kind of arrived in dribs and drabs just enough for me me be me to be able to squeak that win um and I think it was a bit more of a strong win than uh, I think was uh, reflected you know uh, the actual game I think I won 10 
nil or thereabouts. Uh, you'll, you'll remember better than I will. Um, and uh, I think that 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 was just down to a couple of little bits in the last couple of turns where um, the odd person ran away and the odd, um, I think probably more than the odd person ran away, but a fair few ran away that just killed the right people in the right places. Um, but either way, an unusual list though. I think it's fair to say Emma and Ganbury Gan, not the top tier heroes you, you'd hope, um, not quite enough killing power potentially in that list other than from shooting so a divide and conquer maybe not uh, ideal scenario for Jacob either I don't know how he got on for the rest of the tournament um, but um, an interesting list 25 roses and uh, sort of 10 riders or something like that and then finally Ali in contest of champ- uh, champions and it's worth noting I, I think I've mentioned in the interview uh, once or maybe twice um, that Ali is the, the you know former winner of the Great Bush Hobbit League He's he's a very very competent player, uh, you know top top tables and uh, very regularly wins tournaments and certainly podiums regularly uh, at tournaments. And um, I just found that this this scenario was the perfect scenario for me against him really. And the deployment was kind of perfect too. It just boxed Ellendil in the right position and maybe I kind of accidentally put just the right number of uh, dudes outside of this little hedgerow and uh, hedgerow box in the centre that meant that Gothamak had enough to entice him to be killing stuff away from Elendil but not enough to get the uh, the one-upmanship over me so it was it was I mean I'd, I'd like to say I didn't play it badly um, because I didn't play it badly um, but I'd also probably say that um, I got my fair share of the look and Ali's Gothmog just squiffed a few times when he could could have done with killing a few things so I mean in the end 15 kills for my Elendil against his 10 um, I think that's more about the last couple of turns and just winning the roll off here and there and and, and also Gothmog um, squiffing a couple of times on his heroic combats uh, that he got for free by Master of Battling it so 4-1 victory to me in the end putting me at 3-1 total which is crazy considering how the, the day started uh, uh, and a 12-0 loss and down to the very bottom table to catapult myself back up to the position where I can beat a former Great British Hobbit League champion and progress to day number two is a very exciting prospect but of course as I've just mentioned um, day number two uh, we go into pods so um, I mentioned uh, uh, you know right at the start that if you w- do well uh, you might be playing in the top eight. Thankfully, that isn't the case for me. So um, I was a little bit nervous about this. Um, I, I've looked it all up and it's all fine. And as it turns out, on day number two, I am going to be in the chaser pod. So the chaser pod is, um, is you know, the... I think it's the... Is it 16 or is it the... Uh, yeah, I think it's... 16 anyway I, I, I might be wrong about that but either way it's uh, it's certainly not the top eight so yeah I think it's 16 so so the top eight is um Jakob Kroschmal or Kroschmal we've uh, spoken to on the podcast before Dave Farmer we've spoken to on the podcast before Aaron Pullen uh, we've spoken to on the podcast before as recently as the Fellowship of Grantham Jake Rawson spoken to on the podcast before uh, Ivan Sheehan from Ireland spoken to on the podcast before yes we have yeah we went to uh, Dublin uh, Ben Viney spoken to on the podcast before um he's uh he, well, i think it was at scaring of cheshire or somewhere in stockport anyway uh, i can't remember which one it was and then two people uh not spoken to on the podcast before bryce johnson who i believe is from scotland and has shared whiskey so thanks bryce uh baldy bear not quite sure what that means but baldy bear is also there as well so they're the top eight um very interesting and then the next batch of people 
includes and i won't i won't read everyone's name out because um i i i don't want to sort of um go through just listing names but but there are names such as ed ball uh, of course um, former great british hobbit league champion regular top tabler uh, alan liddle an absolute tyrant of the scottish scene harry moore who comes out of retirement to win uh, Great British Hobbit League uh, 100 pointers and then goes back to his family uh, with trophies and blood on his hands. Uh, brilliant stuff. David Nixon, up-and-coming player, uh, won the tournament in Newcastle um, that I went to, the Great North Run, not so long ago. Uh, Callum Eden's absolute uh, titan of the tabletop from the south, uh, regular uh, top table winner, um, qualifying for the Masters this year, all that sort of stuff. Very good player, uh, very, very uh, scary guy to come up against uh, over the tabletops. Um, who else? Um, there are other names as well here, uh, including Matthew Light, um, a very analytical, um, scientific approach, I would almost say, to the game. Uh, lovely, lovely chap um, from my neck of the woods, from Sleaford in Lincolnshire. Um, but uh, absolute uh, tabletop champion here. Uh, he's uh, he won the uh, Reading a couple of times, uh, or maybe well a couple of times ago, and has won many tournaments since then. Ryan Gregory, a Scottish fella, uh, uh, sorry, Scottish, Scottish, Yorkshire fella. What am I saying? Excuse me. Uh, Ryan, um, uh, you know, a massive, massive Rohan player, really good at the game. I'm not sure what he's brought with him this time. We played against him. Uh, I want to. Say, I can't remember what it was. It was uh, a Seventh City Collectibles tournament, and he had um, some Gundabad, and I had um, loads of weird Spectre-based stuff. So that was fun. Um, and also uh, Irish uh, uh, stalwart old Dave, Dave Chambers. We've got uh, Scots Jeremy Wong and Owen Thomas, or Owen Thomas, who's from Wales. Um, uh, there's Luke. I, I might as well say them all now. I've almost finished. Luke uh, Hilda. Um, uh, Matt Davies of Generation Shift fame, lovely gentleman, maker of great bases, converter extraordinaire, and also very good at the game. And finally, Jasmine Tetley as well. Uh, oh, and J Mac, J Mac of J Mac's Armies of Middle Earth, he's there as well. Awesome. He, I hope I play him. He's great fun uh, on his channel, YouTube channel. Uh, J Mac, Scottish fella. Uh, if you have not met him, look him up. And there's Jamie Moore as well, and Jasmine Tetley, um, who I've played many times uh, as a, in friendly matches, talking to him, uh, talked to many times uh, in the tournament scene because of her prowess at the tabletops. And uh, yeah, really interested to see uh, see what happens. Basically, I'm expecting to be dead last in this this pod. I mean, I might might win one game i might win i think that that's probably where i expect to be I, i'd like to think i'll lose a couple of games and then win one that's what i'm hoping but either way second pod bring it on let's move on to day number two game number five we're in pod two back in the baronial hall it's all very exciting and um, all playing for i don't know what we're actually playing for but uh Something we're playing, playing for something, and uh, coming up against Matt Davies of Generation Shift fame uh, for the, uh, the the first game of today. Uh, first of all, Matt, um, you've you've got a really cool list, and um, you've got loads of spicy stuff in there. What have you brought to the uh, tournament this weekend? So I've got a mix of Mordor, um, so the Dark Marshal, Kardush, um, a War Drum, and uh, Shagrat, and just a smattering of Blackguard, um, Orcs. Black Numenorians and Morgul Knights and Morgul Stalkers. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just a bit of pieces, some nice things that work together well and um, 
bit of synergy. Yeah, well, and, and crucially, you've, got, you've just got a load of spicy, cool bits and bobs that are all of the interesting models. It's like you've bought a blister yeah. pack of lots of, of each of the things, and, and, it, and it sort of works in a nice way. And you don't often see the Dark Marshal on the tabletop as well no, with the banner effect. Or even Black Guard. So on the front, you've got the, the Strength 5. So we've got four Black Guard. No. Yeah, around four Black Guard in the front. Um, and they just... That extra Strength 5 really helps in combats. Um, and then the Black Numenorians provide a bit of terror in there, so occasionally you stop someone from charging in, so it gives you a bit of board control. Morgul Knights are one of the best evil cavalries you can get um, with the lances and the terror, um, so just a few of those to sort of support the Dark Marshal. Um, it's, yeah, it can be really useful, but unfortunately it didn't play off this game, did it? Well, I mean, the army the army wasn't at fault, and, and neither were you, really. I mean, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, first of all, the, um, the scenario. We, so I, I didn't realise that day two we, we do a veto system, which is the, the thing that lots of people are talking about um, uh, across the world. Apparently it's the way to do it these days. Um, so, so we had pool, whatever pool it was, with uh, seize the prize, uh, yes, pull free, seize the prize, retrieval, and uh, capture the or destroy the supplies. Yeah. So, um, I vetoed seize the prize because I saw you have a drum, you have march. Um, so, I, wait, do you have march? You just have a drum, but yeah, yeah, and you've yeah. got cavalry. Yeah. So, I thought I'll get rid of that, and you got rid of destroy the supplies, yes. um, which fair enough. So, we ended up playing retrieval. Um, so, what was your game plan here going into this? Because I, I think I rolled first and I deployed. No, you rolled first and you deployed Kardush and a small dude, yeah. smattering of dudes, pretty much on the centre line. Yeah. What was your plan? So essentially, I wanted to tie up, tie up Elendil mm -hmm. and the majority of your force in the middle. So, because Shagrat's such a good second in command, you don't get any wound, like any points for killing him. So I can be a bit reckless with him and burn his might, and he's got blood and glory as well. Um, so Kardush and Shagrat in the middle, trying to tie up the majority of your force with the rest of my warriors, and. Essentially, I need to keep the Dark Marshal safe, but still provide the support with the um, the banner effect he can give to the warriors, and then swing round the Morgul Knights to be able to go and get the objective, then bring it back. That was the plan, and to the majority of that, that worked. Um, but it's just the last few turns; it just went how it, how it did. So uh, yeah, I, th I think I think crucially, um, though the the very first turn of combat, where so the lines clashed, uh, you, I'd kind of I. There's a big pillar right in the middle, and I'd sort of set up a block between some terrain uh, to, to try and pit hem you into some terrain. Uh, and my intention was to send Elendil to churn through one flank down the middle. Which keep he did relatively successfully. Yeah, he, he did. He did. He did go go slowly through them, but uh, it maybe took a turn longer or two yeah. than I wanted, but it still worked. Um, and I left kind of this back flank that was not really blocking off the the objective, which was probably a mistake. But um, because I actually didn't think I, I'd, I'd sort of not measured it properly, so I didn't think you were going to get the charge in the first turn. But I'd not seen some guys behind a pillar, yeah. so um, essentially I, I thought if I leave enough there that I could then pounce on the guys that were, were heading to the objective and tie them up in the same way that you did. Yeah. But Elendil can push the captain through yeah. uh, towards the back, so that that was my idea. But really, that first turn where you had a lot of advantageous combats uh, on on your flank that was trying to push through to the uh, the objective, yeah. you just lost. Eight, every roller. I think it was much, eight yeah. or nine um, drawn fights, uh, and I, I won all but one yeah. of those roll-offs. And, and crucially, I killed a lot of dudes, including your black, uh, uh, the Black Guard of Barador in yeah. the first turn, because I'm winning, you know, I'm, I'm uh, killing them on fives and you're killing me on four, so killing them is a big swing quite early yeah, it on. It was. Uh, they're a big kind of um, strong point in the army, mm -hmm. so if they go down, it's... Uh, 
you've just got the orcs behind which is super squishy yeah. so yeah and the same with the the black numenorians as well because you charged me with them and i killed i don't know not lo- not all of them but a few of them yeah. and and one of the knights so so again taking that terror away especially with the harbinger of evil yeah. bubble like i just i, I ne- it never posed an issue the because yeah. I, I don't think i ever had to take a terror check with anyone but ellendil because because just the way the lines would had yeah. clashed in such a way that you charged me so it was that was quite handy but but as your line yeah, collapsed going forward if i um maybe charged multiple models into one model then mm-hmm. left you the option to charge i make you get more terror checks yeah, yeah. so potentially less people in so it happened with more of the odds but yeah yeah so then you can maybe pin down some guys and yeah, have some have some awkward numenorians hanging around in the background or something but the crucially the, the big the, the big stuff that was going on here with kardush shagra and ellendil and the captain um in the first turn uh, you called a heroic combat to get into the captain yeah. um and i charged something and uh you you lost that combat because yeah. uh, a roll off you lost that roll off and uh so I chipped a fate off Shagrat with the um, with the, the charging dude, which was which actually worked out rather well for you uh, in the sense that I I didn't kill him in one go, which wasn't entirely impossible with six six dice looking for fives. But um, and then it, it just kept happening. Like he just kept losing roll offs and kept losing the fights. Uh, so t- twice the captain survived, um, and when he really really shouldn't have done. And and then you strike up against Elendil at one point with Shagrat, and and again. You, you you squiffed the dice on the, that yeah. combat, and it just it just felt like there was there was you just weren't catching any breaks. Get a break now, yeah. yeah. And and, and uh, so you I, kind of lean into that so that if you if you know you're still not going to get any breaks, you kind of try and get the odds in your favour. But mm. there's only so much that can help. Well, well, the thing is, you played it absolutely perfectly because you had you had all the right plays. I think you did barely anything wrong like yeah we forgot a couple of rules at one point and we forgot that Shagrat had been knocked down in the previous turn by the captain so we couldn't have heroic combat blah blah so we had to retrace, retrace a couple of things but the, you, you played everything else perfectly you sent the Dark Marshal at the, up, up towards the objective with his uh, knights in support in the right time so you got the stand fast so you know you're not going to run away You did uh, the magic was there as well to sort of try and block off Elendil yeah. when he eventually bounced back that way yeah. and two will on the table yeah. so it couldn't really have used his will better except for just had really bad will rolls yeah and yeah you, were, the, the, yeah, you kept rolling like fours and stuff for, for things and with my two free resists I'm, I'm knocking that back all the yeah, time it's really powerful it's really powerful yeah yeah, and, and even even down to I, I got my captain eventually broke through to head towards my objective yeah. and Cardus makes a, a baller of a play he goes he sort of storms off in his own he's got his yeah. three wheel back the pre, the, uh, at the end of last turn or the start of the, the turn flame bursts him knocks him off his horse he falls off his horse he can't stand up and get the objective that turn so he, he delayed yeah. that by another turn and all of this is going on what, threat range is brilliant it's fantastic yeah because you've got that six inch move and you can six inch flame burst as well which you can channel so it's, it's, it's like a 24-inch bubble of threat range you can reach. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just so good. And, um, but all of this happened. Basically, all of these things we're describing, that, that, that just inching, inching away, all of this was while you were broken. So I think, and we had four or maybe three or, three or four rolls to, to end the game, and it, and it didn't end on any of them. And if it had ended on any of those turns, you would have had the win because you wounded Ellendil at some point with Shagrat yeah. uh, or some, someone, I don't know what. Um, so you had like one point for that, and you got the objective before me. So you had three. So it was four, it was, yeah, four one or four nil even. No, yeah, four whatever's for breaking. Yeah. But so four two or something like that. And because it, it lasted those extra three turns, yeah. I, 
the captain can get up off his uh, off the ground, grab grab the objective on my end, and he's still standing exactly the same spot yeah. at the end of the la- last turn. And um, Allendil was able to just bounce three turns of heroic combats to get to be able to charge the Dark Marshal in the final turn yeah, yeah. Uh, and kill him in the final turn. So I. I, so I just it through. swung yeah, yeah. So and it suddenly sw- swings the points back into your favour yeah and I think that I guess the thing is that I only had one pl- member on the table at the end yeah. of it um, so not being tabled but no. it was uh, as close to as possible it, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty close but, but I mean I, I'd, I'd like to say that there's I really don't think there's much that you could have done differently. In hindsight, I guess maybe you could have focused on trying to break me a bit earlier, um, because even though you, I don't know, maybe well, your heroes. Get, I think because you went for Elendil yeah. rather than killing Duke troops with with Shagrat, which might have been a mistake. Potentially, yeah. Um, I think with that first turn, with how many uh, of my men went down, yeah, just it's too big a threat range to keep. Elendil just moving around because yeah. he has the ability to kill like six models a turn if, if need be. Um, but yeah, and you've got to kind of take him head on. You've got to charge him yeah. and strike up rather than have him charge you and, yeah. and, and you know, you have to strike up or whatever because it's just a bad... I mean, yeah. I, I, it's hard to give someone advice when I genuinely think that you played the game much better than me and I just happened to... I didn't play anything badly... Really, I, I didn't. I wasn't terrible, it, but it, it just it, it should have ended, or it, sh- it should have ended with a win to you, I think, genuinely. But either way, it didn't. It was an eight-four w- win to me because in the final turn, I've got the objective so that gives me three, and I killed your dude, which gave, uh, swung the uh, the leader kills in my favour as well. So either way, Matt, it was you. You, you put up, still. yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it, and you put uh, you put up with the pain of, uh, <laughs> of those ridiculous roll-offs um, with a, a smile you just on your face. You know, into it. <laughs> yeah, you've got to do it. No point. There's no point, exactly. Well, uh, best of luck in the rest of the tournament. At least you won't be playing some really tough competitors in this pod. So thanks very much for talking to me as well. Yeah, it'd be great. Cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Thank you. Game number six, Domination. Uh, still in the Baronial Hall. Still feeling happy about being in the sort of the adult area uh, of pod two on day number two here at the Grand Prix. I'm playing a regular competitor and feature of the podcast. It's Jasmine Tetley. Welcome back. Hello, it feels like it's been a while. It has been a while, it has been a while. I'm thinking the last time we might have spoke was probably when you won the Grand Prix, was it, last time? Yeah, so it would have been exactly a year ago. A year ago, wow, okay, yeah, I was just trying to think. Um, So, first of all, uh, there's the veto system. Um, I can't remember the scenarios that we had, but we ended up with domination, which I think you really, really wanted. Um, So... Just tell us your list first of all, and then explain why you think domination was good for you. Sure. So my list is the usual mix of Boromir on horse with Legolas and Hurin, Minas Tirith warband, Mirkwood warband. Um, I've got quite a few Elven cloaks, so some Mirkwood rangers there just to keep myself safe against um, sort of all the shooting lists out there. Um, so yeah, and I wanted domination because I've got bodyguard on my guard of the Fountain Court, um, and I just really like the scenario. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. So I basically let Harry veto one and then pick domination from the two yeah and I, I can't remember which one I actually vetoed in the end but um, it was breakthrough breakthrough yeah and and you, you reckoned that breakthrough was probably the one that I should have chosen why yeah because Elenda was just impossible to stop and if one objective marker is worth so much more you know he's just going to be able to hold that objective marker on his own so yeah that was the one that I didn't want to play anyway yeah that's solid reasoning I've just never won breakthrough so I, I think maybe it's maybe the, the logic in my mind was clouded by uh, negative past experiences but um, so you, you fancy your chances here and um, early on I think I, I you, you kind of castled up in this big ruiny thing um, and you kind of left most of the objectives 
out of reach for you? Was, was your plan always to send Boromir to go on a scouting mission to clear up at some point? Well, my army just functions by castling because I want to just pepper with the shots and Legolas and Boromir's got enough money, he can go off, do his own thing, clear those objectives. So he wasn't going to be able to take on Elendil regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just figured that, yeah, try and draw you into one place and then go hit the others. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what happened. I, I uh, pushed my guys into the centre uh, uh, on the centre line uh, at the very start and there's this circular ruiny thing with one, you put an objective into there and that's where you castled up. And I just sort of pushed everything towards that and left a smattering of people. I sent enough back to the two objectives that are in my board half uh, to kind of to hold them in air quotes, but knowing, I guess, that you, you, could, you needed to send something to, to capture it. Do you, do you think I did it in, in the right way, or should I have kind of castled up and secured these three and held, held firm? No, I think it was fine to come over the centre line. Um, that's not a problem at all. Yeah. Okay, and so with that, with that in mind, everything panned out with, essentially, Elendil just going through bits. He lost his horse. The captain lost his horse, but what what do you think was the deciding factor here? Elendil, um, he absolutely dominated me, got through every hole that he needed to, just hit it hard. Um, but you know what? Sometimes when it's fun, you don't really mind getting dominated like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, very, very, yeah, very good. Uh, so, but because ultimately, you you play. I, I don't I don't think you played this wrong at all. Like, I can't think of anything that you did badly here. Like you had two fountain court on a rear objective for a long part of the game, but basically Elendil ruined that by just ganking Huron at one point and then your fountain court were vulnerable to the running away and eventually both of them did and um, so what what do you think you could have done differently to, to change the outcome of this game I lost out from yeah the courage checks on my guard of the fountain court in the end um, but the thing is there were so many decisions to be made in the last few turns because we were both one or two away from being courted at all times mm. and the number of options that were available to both of us was quite a lot so it made for an extremely interesting and fun game yeah. um, in that regard so yeah I'm not upset at losing this match at all because it was just a lot of fun yeah it was tense in the sense that it really could have slipped either way uh, at the latter game because for example a couple of my guys if they'd run away then that would have ended the game and, and switch switched the score around a bit and and if if I'd have lost a couple more priorities uh, once everyone was out of might um, in the sort of castle bit that you'd chosen to castle up, then um, you'd probably have the better share of combats and you'd be able to surround my guys and maybe kill me and get the charge of Legolas and stuff like that, so and chop chop down some more, more guys. It does feel like I just had the, the lion's share of that look in the end game, which I guess is where you need the look. You rolled two banner sixes, <laughs> which kind of made a bit of a difference. It's cruel, isn't it? Yeah, rolling into the six, yeah. Yeah, from like a three. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I know that happens. Um, the Obviously, like Ed always goes on about losing the 50-50s. I lost a 59-49, <laughs> which is clearly statistically yeah, yeah. worse than a 50-50. 59-41, but yeah. No, <laughs> Ed's always shouting in the background, correcting you. It is true. And, and that courage, it was, it was basically one guard of the fountain court that ran away. And if that guard of the fountain court hadn't run away, you get an extra two VPs here, which would put it to 4-3. Well, the game probably goes on another turn or whatever. Oh, it's, yes. There's too many variables, which is what yeah. I'm saying, because Boromir might not have gone and done what he did with that heroic combat yeah. and all those small little things. So you can't really go back and say it's any one thing, which is what essentially makes it a great game in yeah. this one. Yeah, and I do like it when games like that, you can. it's all about the decisions at the end rather than the roll of a dice at the end, which is which is crucial. I mean, yes, some things might have been harder for me or easier for me or, or easier for you for example if, if I'd have I'd been less lucky in the end but 
I, I, I do think I also did the things right. I mean, was it, were there any big mistakes that I made? Because I felt like I'd made a bit of a cock-up earlier on. With like Alan Dill had gone into a, a place where he didn't really have anywhere to... Or anything to do and like Boromir had done this charge where he killed a guy and then he was clearly going to heroic combat off into the centre and start mopping up my uh, my troops which I do you think there was any way I could have blocked that there was like a move that yeah that just didn't go my way uh, I don't think so really there was just one near the end where you left a guy on the centre objective in range of a heroic move or combat from Boromir which mm. was the only one um, and in the end, Barmer should have took that centre objective, in all honesty. Yeah. Uh, he should have killed yeah. that guy. He just he just flubbed his last result, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's the first one he did of that. So, yeah, that, that happens. No, I, I thought you played very well. Um, you kept your horses alive for as long as possible until you got your troops near, which was very good. So, yeah, you were definitely... I could see you working very hard. And, <laughs> you, uh, you worked me hard, yeah. But you've, but you've played a lot better than I've seen you play before. Um, and there's clear improvement there, which is fantastic to see and even when I'm making my steps ahead you're noticing my steps ahead and going oh yes I see that you've made sure Legolas is in range of all of them for a heroic move next turn mm -hmm. which is great so you're spotting those things so yeah, yeah I think yeah. It, well, it, it, often it really helps to be on the top tables not this well in this second pod is is full of fantastic players including yourself and I think it really helps when you've, you've, you're really playing against good players who are really sort of testing you because um, sometimes I, I feel like I lose some early games and I end up playing um, the sort of people at my level I guess which is, but now I'm kind of really having to stretch myself which I guess means that it yeah I guess it means that I'm learning well it's obviously very noticeable when my team captain comes <laughs> up and congratulates you for the win like what is this I thought the team championship was yeah. supposed to be about support thank yeah. you very much Jake Rawson yeah yeah he's um, also wearing a no, team Entmoot badge by the way you know? yeah uh, I'm not sure if I really want him to win the final now so you'll have to wait and find out to see if that happens yeah I know well we'll, we'll find out well either way Jasmine um, I am totally and completely and utterly exhausted by uh, that round it was so, uh, my brain I don't think my brain has ever worked so hard on anything in its life but um, I, I won 4-1 in the end and I really appreciate uh, the game it was fantastic oh I absolutely love the game and I can't wait to see what the titillation of the episode is going to be and you deserve to yeah. suck on a mango for that win <laughs> what is all that about okay well, we'll find out when we get into the next game final game of pod 2 the chaser pod on the top tables, second, uh, num table number two in the pod, very exciting times, in the baronial hall, so we're, we're in the, the big boy room still, and playing against Matt Light. Matt Light, I, I believe we spoke in the podcast a long time ago at the war in Reading and you won that, that tournament, so how do you feel, first of all, for getting right to the top of the pod of this, this, this tricky tournament? Yeah, it's really, really good. I think the pod format on Sunday is really, really excellent for all players. I think you can see a noticeable difference in how excited people are to play day two at every level. And I think that sort of plays out, has played out for us going undefeated in our pods until the very end. Exactly. It's very exciting. Thank you for keeping the mystery there undefeated until the very end. So, first of all, uh, you've got, just to give us, give us a run through of what you've got for this Fog of War matchup. Uh, so my army is 38 Lake Town Guard, uh, the Master of Lake Town, Braga and Alfred the Counselor, and then they're joined by Legolas on a horse, uh, a Wood Elf Sentinel, uh, a Wood Elf on a horse, and some other stuff. 
Yeah, some other stuff. And what was it, 50 models, 52? 52 models, yeah. So 27 to break, which at 600 points is, is a pretty tall order. Yeah, it's it's horrific. And also you've got this, I didn't realize, I thought the uh, the, the master gives the Spencer Might point and he has like a six inch banner effect and a boost to your fight value. I thought it was fight two up to fight three, but it's fight three up to four, which feels horrible. Yeah, that, and that's an easy thing to, to assume because obviously the survivors of Lake Town are fight two up to fight three with their bubble from uh, Okay, that's where I go Bath. wrong, yeah. Okay. Okay. So there we go. So with that in mind, fog of war. Uh, we did some vetoing at the start. Um, did you fancy your chances uh, in fog of war? Especially, well, I guess because you got such a high model count. You, we know which hero you're going to try and kill, which is the captain. I have to protect the captain. Did you fancy your chances? Yeah. So th- there's a lot going on in this, but in this in fog of war in general. But obviously, when you only have one other hero, we know that's your protect. We know it's my target. And when I've got almost twice your models. I'm going to be able to bury the terrain pieces because if you're, and we sort of mentioned this at the start when we were deploying, if you want to put any goalies back to defend your terrain pieces, the numbers are going to be even worse for you. And, and so you just know I'm going to score that and it's going to be hard for you to score. So I think on paper, it's it's pretty comfortable. Yeah, it is, it's a good it's a good matchup for you. Um, and as you say, you, you kind of know exactly how to, to counter things. So I, I, I chose a, a bit of terrain in the middle and I do have models on said bit of terrain at the end of the game. Um, but you just had so many models you can pull back off the off the fights and just surround and, and outnumber me in that terrain piece. So you so I don't I don't get the points despite having uh, secretly and you know very mysteriously chosen the, the, the very obviously central uh, bit of terrain. But um, in terms of protecting and uh, well protecting for you and also countering what heroes I have got to kill. What's you you went for protecting Lake Town uh, the master of Lake Town why? He's got two fate. Um, Braga's definitely going to be your target to kill because he's going to be at the front, slinging might points around. Um, he's also got heroic defense, which is good um, and did, did definitely come up in the game. But ultimately, the way that you could sneak getting some victory points on that, or if you know, your six bowmen pull some really, really exciting work, <laughs> shoot through some in the ways and, and, and hit people. Um, so having the master is just easier. You're not going to put any effort into getting to him. He's going to stand six inches behind the line and it's going to be very easy for him to protect. He also, in the event that the game goes really long and I have to start taking courage tests, um, he also has two points of will so he can sort of stick around a bit easier and that sort of thing. Okay, yeah, that seems logical. And and I did go with Braga. I, there was... I actually wrote, I've written it down in my book, Uh, I started writing Alfred, I put an A and then I scribbled it out and went for uh, Braga and because I I thought Alfred might be heroic combatable too and I did get a chance to have a combat with him, I fought him once uh, and and he he won despite being uh, um, unarmed and all that sort of stuff but that that was irrelevant because actually I I think you did expose um, uh, the Braga quite early on you did charge him really really close to where Elendil was going and Elendil quickly heroic combated him within range and was really close to killing him a couple of times oh absolutely Braga's uh, my play with Braga and my position with Braga was pretty much awful all the way through the game um, he highlighted that by not getting many free free things after his first march um, but the fact that he got two points of heroic defence really saved him because that meant the two times Elendil I think Elendil got onto him two maybe three times um, uh, no, he got onto him two times. Two, two times, yeah, yeah. One time, Melendel just didn't win the combat, and then the other time, the defence was just good enough. Yeah. Um, and I did mention just just at the end of the game that there was there was one you did make a mistake. Mm-hmm. One time, um, I had a heroic combat with Elendil because I always do, and um, he was fighting three Lake Town dudes, which I wound on threes, and I had one point of might in the bank, and I had the heroic combat, and you didn't call the heroic defence, which you had the might for. Uh, so there was a, a small opening there for me to potentially. Uh, Heroic combat into um, Braga undefensed, and you know I could 
there's a good chance I, I can take him off the board at that, in that one go because there was also some Numenorians in there as well. That, that, that was my one opening and then of course that was the turn that I rolled a two, a one and a three to kill the late town. I had the one point in mind but that wasn't enough to do it so I didn't bother. And I think what that really does is highlight why Braga can never be the one that I protect because if those mistakes are going to be made, I, I don't want to put six victory points in that basket, yeah. three for you and, and, and potentially three for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you'd got that, you know, we the, the game finished on... Um, nine victory points to three so even if you'd killed Braga it's still sort of it's still nine six and there's yeah I mean the terrain's the real problem because when you look at the board we've got quite a quite a sparse board in terms of terrain there's about three three four big-ish bits in both people's deployment zone and I've got 52 models so even if you pick one of the far corner ones there's no way you're going to get a guy there before you break and keep him around and he's not going to get chased down so you really only have one option for the terrain piece and you would have to kill a lot of models and there just isn't going to be time even if I kill two of your models a turn you're still going to really really struggle yeah and, and, and to be fair I, you, the first couple of turns of combat really went your way as well I mean I, you, the, a, you had the fight four as well uh, buffed up which was good and a big ban- a much bigger banner effect for me so I guess you, you are more likely to win some of those combats and, and you had the wrap around you had some cavalry and all these sorts of things uh, um, so it, it did mean that I was, I was always going to struggle with uh, once the first couple of turns went I just didn't have the bodies there so I, the only way I thought if I could potentially win is by getting Elendil flash kill Braga and then maybe he Elendil wanders into the woods and starts chopping being the scary man inside the woods chopping and sending all the uh, the Lake Town uh, running out of the woods and then maybe just maybe I had it because my, my I had to protect my captain and despite the presence of Legolas on the table who took his horse out quite early on and I don't know 10 uh, maybe just around 10 guys surrounding him he's, he's still surviving he's tanking quite a lot yeah he, he spent the game very adeptly shielding um, and I think going back to what you were saying about banners the first two turns of that game were just well I say the first two turns the first two turns were moving a bit and yeah, shooting a bit um, but the sort of turn two and turn three were really really key because Legolas managed to shoot out both of your hero's horses um, and then my Wood Elf Sentinel managed to uh, toot his little instrument and your banner went 12 inches backwards. Yeah, two turns in a row, which I, I was saying at one point during the game, it's the first Courage checks I've failed in the whole tournament. Um, which, So, you know, that's quite good for me. I mean, Courage 4, I should I, I, you know, I should be losing some, but yeah, it's annoying that it was two in a row on the on the banner. But yeah, that, 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 that would have been quite handy to have kicking about. Exactly, because and every time that you fail that test, because you're moving full, it's it's two turns out of the fight so it was you know turn five six before your banner got back in at which point you didn't have the bodies to protect it and he got dragged down by an elf and a late town man yeah exactly so it all in all, I did protect my captain. Happy days. Uh, Elendil's standing very close to uh, Braga, but uh, Braga remains unkilled. Uh, the woodland has got uh, there's got some. I think there's three uh, Numenorians in there, but there's about seven Lake Towners, uh, and you have just a couple of dudes in your woodland. So all in all, uh, as you mentioned, it's a nine-three loss to me. Um, which, to be fair, I, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I think I. I, I provided myself some chances to gain more VPs and it just didn't just didn't land yeah and it's a funny one because if the game goes that one extra turn you've got about six seven models left on the board Legolas is now breathing down your captain so odds on odds on your captain dies next turn which is a enormous victory point swing I think Elendil probably passes his courage test if you win there's no might over there so if he wins his if he wins priority then he probably cuts up Braga if he doesn't then he gets tagged off and then it can be a 12-0 so it was good it was a nice turn for the game to end on I think because yes. it, it would have 
if it had gone on one more and ended up being a 12-0, then I think it would have felt like less of a fun game than it could have been. No, no it was still fun all the way up to that point. I just think I, I think I, I'm happy that I've got some VPs on the on the scoreboard because I felt like I did some good things, and I think I've been rewarded by those three points. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think from a from a game point of view, there were lot, lots of little clever bits that you did, and I largely pushed my models around and just sort of <laughs> buried you in them, like. It, it doesn't take a lot of it doesn't take very much big brain thinking to just trap all of your guys and and after the first you know two turns of combat when you'd lost sort of six or seven models suddenly you've got 24 to my 50 odd and there's just not there's no way you can form a battle line there's no way that you can protect your heroes you managed to protect your captain quite nicely and you won you called some quite clever heroic moves with him that yeah. that sort of prolonged his life quite a lot yeah but all, all in all i mean this survivors of late town list it's, it's hard isn't it it's really strong yeah, at this points points level, because you get to have you get sort of you massively outnumber everyone, and if you ever play against someone who's got defense five models, then when you're fight four six inch banner wounding on fives, then your army's really lethal. If you play against sort of you know forty Moranans, then you get pretty badly beaten up right. because you're wounding everyone on sixes, they're wounding you on fours. But when you you know you winning me on fours is fine because you're winning half the fights. Yeah. If there's an elf, you're not winning the fights. You didn't have a banner. And then, you know, your models are just really, 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 really gently, 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 gently pushing at me. And <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a hiding to nothing. But either way, Matt, uh, outstanding play. That you, you are in with a chance of winning um, this pod because you've won all four games today. Uh, no, all three games today, sorry. Uh, but we're watching over Harry Moore and uh, Ryan Gregory over there at Gullivar and all that sort of stuff. And they were both on slightly more VP. So I think one of them is likely to clinch it. Yeah, I think so. If, if they had some sort of mysteriously low victory point scoring then maybe but I mean I think I end up at about plus 21 victory points and I think whoever was top of our pod going into this had plus 20 VP diff so I think if that person wins at all then they've got it well either way Matt uh, congratulations and uh, well done on uh, winning all your games today and, and being sort of high up at the very least in pod number two cheers right. cheers talking to me cheers. extraordinary scenes absolutely ridiculous scenes today um, I know I ended on the loss there against Matt Light um, and a, a well-deserved win to to him. But, my God, to, to have won two games in a row against Matt Davies and Jasmine Tetley. I mean, I've really, really, uh, really... I've outdone myself here. I really have. Um, I'm so chuffed with this, uh, uh, this tournament. I mean... <laughs> Honestly, honestly, having, I think, was it, f so in total, five wins and two losses in total in the tournament, I'm just over the moon. I really am. I, I, I mean, obviously, luck has played its part. And, you know, you can't you can't win tournaments without luck, so it's a dice game after all. But, I mean, playing against Matt, um, he, he just had the worst kind of luck I could possibly imagine. Um, you know, uh, everything went wrong for him. His magic wasn't great. Um, Shagrat was just pants and uh, and the game lasted just to the right level to end on a turn where um uh, on a turn where I could I could just pip him uh, to the post uh, and I think it was what was it uh, 8 4 or something like that so really really crazy crazy stuff there to have been able to move the objective at the right moment and and just just about manage uh, to squeak the win and then Jasmine I mean I honestly have no idea how that happened I really, really don't. I, I got uh, playing domination against Jasmine. I, I, a at the start, she pointed out that I'd basically chosen the wrong um, scenario. If I'd have chosen breakthrough, you'd like to back Ellen Dill for breakthrough. Um, but do, uh, 
or even uh, capture and control because you can hit the objective and then you know flop off which is okay for something like Ellendil but Jasmine just tore me a new one in the first few turns like uh, she knew exactly how she was going to win she was putting all, all of her uh, guard of the fountain court in the right places and then Boz was going on a, a rampage through my stuff and clearing out all the people I thought I'd cleverly left on the objectives behind and then essentially Ellendil just spent the next however long he needed to just chopping through most of Jasmine's army and it was ridiculous. I mean, I think she had 28 models, so uh, four less than me, but Boromir had killed like 10 of mine. And Elendil just chopped and chopped and chopped and then killed Huron in one go and then chopped and then chopped. And he just did so much work. And this is all despite Legolas shooting his horse out from underneath him early on. It was insane. He didn't. He just did exactly what you wanted him to do, and then sadly, Jasmine's um, troops did exactly what she didn't want them to do, which was run in the wrong places. I mean, uh, the uh, Huron going down meant the bodyguard went down, which meant the some of the uh, people on the objectives uh, because of the Yellow Alliance, maybe. I'm not going to say out. Uh, the the plus one courage would have definitely been handy for uh, Jasmine's uh, guard of the fountain court, who uh, were courage three. I didn't realise that they're bodyguards, but when your bodyguard's gone, they're off. Uh, or they certainly were in this instance. I think um, uh, I think she pointed out the percentage there. It was what four four fifty nine percent chance of her passing the the uh, courage check. So unlucky uh the 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 unlucky side of a of a you know coin flip in her favor essentially and then then matt light i mean he he almost seems so relaxed uh, in his game and he mentioned it in the game as well um that he just needed to push his troops at me and just win and i'd like to say that i had some kind of agency in that game I, I very little. Um, as I mentioned, there was one small possibility of getting uh, getting the kill on my target, a tiny chance, just once, and Elendil didn't do what he needed to do. But that's okay because he did so much for the rest of the tournament. But yeah, there was one opportunity when he was on foot. He'd lost his horse ages before the start, um, and he was fighting someone, and he needed I don't know what it was. It was threes or something to to kill two people. And if he had done that, which was unlikely, I suppose, you know, you, I, I, I was hoping if I get a three and a two, I can spend a point of might and then charge into Braga um, because Braga hadn't done the heroic defence that turn. And I would have killed him, I'd like to think. You'd, you'd certainly hope hope, <laughs> hope he'd have a chance. Uh, Elendil against Braga, a captain, a lowly captain. Um, but I didn't get it, and that's fine because I lost 3-9, 9-3 uh, to him. Uh, and you know what? Fine. Matt is a fantastic player, and he was a, a, a true gentleman. It was never stressful, that game. It was really relaxed and wonderful to have the final game just like that. I mean, I enjoyed the other games against Matt Light and... Um, sorry, uh, Matt Davies and Jasmine, but they were, they were enjoyable in a very different way because they were really close, tense games. Great thrillers uh, of games. Whereas Matt was just like, ah, this is just so relaxed. And I kind of may, maybe I'd kind of given up because of the scenario and just the the oppressive nature of the army that I was facing up against, um, and I and the and the scenario being fog of war. But still, uh, I did I, I didn't I didn't give up. I did have chances, but it was going to be hard. And I and I kind of understood that at the start, which meant that we both had a really relaxing game. So that's brilliant. Um, but as I say, I'm I'm still just over the moon. I'm just so shocked and over the moon that um, I've done this well. 5-2. Five, 5-2 two. Five, two with pure Numenor. 
So stick that in your pipe and smoke it if you've ever thought Numenor aren't good, because they certainly can be with a little bit of luck on your side. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's the tournament. We'll find out who the winner is in a second. Um, I was trying to catch up with Will, the tournament organiser, throughout the whole weekend. Um, but if I'm honest, the time schedules were very, very well, not, not they were actually quite generous. But I didn't really, I, I, you know, when you've had a two hour game or whatever, you just want to rest, go to the toilet, have a drink, um, have a bit of a chat with people, have a catch up, uh, brag about who you've just uh, gone lucky against in my instance, uh, against Ali and, and Jasmine and people. Um, and essentially then go uh, uh, into the next game. And I was hoping to grab Will at some point through the course of the tournament. Didn't get a chance. So I thought, let's get him on the phone. Welcome along to Entmood uh, once again. Will, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Happy to be back on once again. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, last time you ha- we had you on actually was talking ahead of the Grand Prix, the Seventh City Collectibles uh, Grand Prix, uh, and we've just heard my progress uh, throughout the tournament in uh, in the Grand Prix, and we're yet to find out who has won it. So um, hold hold your horses. Ooh, we'll get there in exciting. a second. Oh, it is. It's very exciting indeed. Um, but I, I, I guess you know, just reflecting back on all this. Um, how, how how do you think the well first actually let's let's start the the start really because you you had a sort of ambition here to make the the GP a special event for you well, what was the ambition? Well, what I essentially want to do is make one of the most competitive singles events possible um, in a, a slightly different format to how other people use it, sort of borrowing from other gaming systems, particularly like card game systems like Magic and Pokemon um, and the way that they do their sort of top shelf competitive events um, while also giving the less competitive players a reason to attend in the form of like prize support and things. So that, that was that was the aim. I guess, do you think you delivered first of all? Uh, I think so. Um, what what I would say is, I thought the weekend was awesome. Um, it was it was really good fun. It was stressful at times, as all events should be. Um, and everybody seemed like they had a really really good time. Um, so ev- most people seem to be incredibly happy. Uh, so I've you know it was a mission success for me for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think when you say it was a stressful weekend, that applies exclusively to tournament organizer Will um, and and so on, uh, all the rest of the team as well. Not really to the uh, to the players. I I don't think anyone had a had a bad time at the weekend. Yeah, there were some there were some kinks that clearly need to be ironed out. Um, but that's uh, those sorts of things. I, I guess you can tell um, when an, an event's got a fundamental problem with it, or whether there are just little bits that need sorting out. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing that that happened that I wouldn't describe as teething issues. Um, and it's you know for you to say that most of the players didn't really notice. It's kind of like the uh, the adage of the swan that looks graceful on the lake, but it's paddling like heck underneath the water. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's what we're there for. It's our job just to make sure everything is running smoothly, or at least looks like it is. Um, so, yeah, we, we just about achieved that, I think. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, we talked a little bit um, through the course of the podcast about the, the pod system and how on day one you play a certain number of games and uh, and then you move yourself into a, a different pod for day number two to kind of level off your, um, uh, I guess you so you're playing people who are of a roughly similar uh, talent level to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, obviously, before we we did play this um, the sort of smaller version at uh, Seventh City itself, which was about thirty players or thirty two, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, how do you think that worked on a much bigger scale? So largely, I think it worked a lot better. Um, we 
spent a lot of money on prize support and the more people that come, essentially the more prizes that were on offer. So we had a final tally of, I think, 88 players. Um, and so we had the um, the top eight, um, you know, the big bad boy one, and then we had the chaser pods. And then I think we had four other pods as well. So even if you had a catastrophic day one, it was essentially a new day. You were seeded into your, you know, your pod of relevancy. Um, and then essentially you got a fresh crack to try and take home some goodies. Um, and the feedback, because I, I did a, a sort of drop form for everybody that attended to get their feedback on everything, you know, from the, the way the tournament was run to the hotel and, and everything in between. Um, and the feedback on the pods was largely very positive. Um, a couple of people had commented that they, they weren't too fond of the idea that they were um, sort of penciled in for a, a top amount of points um, for the GBHL rankings. But that goes both ways as well in that if you qualify for the top eight or the chaser pod, you've also, you know, you're rewarded for your efforts and you get, you know, the worst you can do is get a pretty decent amount of points. Um, but the, the feedback largely was incredibly positive. A lot of people found that day two was much more relaxing for the more casual pods um, and the competitive players were generally all where they wanted to be. So they were pretty happy too. And the expectations mm-hmm. at the top were pretty sort of uniform as well. Um, and then every, you know, everyone got a chance to get loads of cool prizes. Um, so th- I'd say the pods were a success and it's scaled nicely um, because it just meant that we could offer more prize support to people. Yeah, I think I, I definitely heard the comment about the, the GBHL points thing being, um, uh, yeah, a couple of people like, oh, yeah, well, if you do really badly on day one, but do really well on the day two, you can't get more points for the league. But but as you say, if you do really well on day one and, and do really badly on day two, then you, you're not going to lose out on loads of points in the league. So I guess, yeah, as you say, it work, works yeah, that way. Yeah, it, it's all compromise. And, you know, one of the, the beautiful things about the GBHL is, TOs are generally pretty free to make whatever format they like um, and I think variety is the spice of life you don't want to go to an event and every event's exactly the same mm. um, and the the sort of the comeback kings of, of day two events would probably not enjoy it as much um, if they were just coming for the ranking points but they would also have a really good stab at winning their pod and taking home some like cool nerdy prizes um, so yeah it's, it's definitely something to consider but largely the the feedback was way more positive about the pods than negative, um, which shows that there is, you know, there is an appetite for the the GP style event, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, one of the other things, uh, I think uh, we spoke about this in the, the last episode, um, uh, in the interview, uh, or sort of previous, yeah, I think it was the last episode, um, about about you sort of uh, modelling yourself a little bit off of some of the, the, the biggest events in the SPG community, including Ardacon, which is sort of set at the hotel, it has all the food and and you know the rooms are all included so people can kind of do a one-stop shop turn up on friday not have to leave not have to get in the car uh, and just be surrounded by toy soldier people have drinks and food and all that sort of included and do you think that sort of lived up to your expectations because i know um there are a couple of uh, as we've said teething issues it's it, like you know i think the hotel were just <laughs> overwhelmed by the number of people uh, that are actually going to be there i mean how do you think that sort of side of things went yeah i mean again largely very well um the, the hotel were definitely shell-shocked because they've never done anything even remotely like this before. They're traditionally a, you know, a um, 
a wedding venue and maybe some other like you know office party style things um so the idea of essentially a nerd takeover for an entire weekend was a little bit more than they were prepared for um but i've been given every assurance that you know all of the feedback that was taken on you know um, the lunchtime on the saturday was a little bit chaotic but we got through it um and sort of what food was on offer and stuff we we've, we can improve on um but that's all being addressed for next time and then more than happy to essentially make any accommodations we'd like um with regards to whether it lived up to the hype i'd say so um it was really nice to have a couple of beers with um some of our further afield friends from scotland and ireland that landed on the friday night and then we did the pub quiz on the saturday night which was really popular got a load of good feedback um i think because it just didn't have a load of middle earth questions i kept it nice and varied for people um but it it really sort of spoke volumes um sort of very late into the saturday night it was last orders at midnight and there was still 20 30 people um sort of socializing and drinking in the event hall at sort of half two in the morning um which you wouldn't get at most other events because of the you know everyone eventually disperses and goes back to their hotels or goes into town and you can't have 40 people going to the same bar together um never in a million years so having that one-stop shop for everyone to just come and socialize for the weekend it did pay off um and i, I think people were really happy with it yeah, absolutely. I did hear tales of people heading into Derby and uh, things like that, but I was certainly one of the people uh, in the, the venue at the last minute, I think it was about half one or something like that, that I finally uh, went to bed because some of the Scottish lads had brought out a wee nib of whiskey to, to drink in the late hours. So uh, so that was Yeah, and unfor- unfortunately, I didn't take that as my cue to go to bed. Um, <laughs> I stayed out a little bit longer than I probably should have. Um, and I, I slept for about three days after that event. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And and so, I mean, uh, you know, how do you feel, um, you know, in terms of where it can go from here? I mean, it, it, are you hoping bigger, better? Is it going to be a different venue, same venue? Are you planning on doing it again? Uh, it is 100% happening again. Um, my, my intention is for like the, the Middle Earth GP to become the annual fixture that, or at least one of the annual fixtures that people, you know, immediately put into their calendar at the start of the year. Um, I'd love to get more international players over. Um, it, you know, it was really, really awesome to see um, a load of Scots and Irish chaps come over. Um, but I'd love to see some more people from Europe come over. And I don't know how we can incentivize them to do that, but um, you know, I'm, I'm going to the WTC this year, so I'll be having a chat with a few people and sort of canvassing opinions. Um, I'd, I'd just, I'd like to just continue to do it bigger and better and make it, you know, more fun and, and more enjoyable every year. Um, and we, maybe we will outgrow that venue. We've got a capacity for a hundred for this year, and maybe after you know having everybody there, we could probably squeeze a few more people in, but not a huge amount. Um, and if we get to a point where we, you know, we sell 100 tickets and we've still got a, a waiting list, it's an amazing problem to have. And it just means that we'll be looking for somewhere bigger to do it. Um, but, the, yeah, the aspirations are, are well and truly cemented in. that I'd like to keep doing it and sort of keep improving it and, you know, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. I mean, so and, and your ambition doesn't end here. I mean, we, we talk a lot on the podcast. I've come to a lot of your events because, um, A, because they're well run, but B, because they're pretty close to me as well. Um, but you, you've got plenty of events in the calendar and, uh, and there's a full roster uh, of events on the way. I know that, that I, I can't think of the, which, which the next one will be, probably Gates of Gondolin. But, um, what a fantastic yeah. segue, Harry. Yeah, I know. I'm guessing you've got, lo- <laughs> you've got that on the horizon as well. What, what else is coming up? Yeah, so um, 
ones for like you know the big league ones that we've got um we're helping out the north of england region the new region this year um putting a few events back on the calendar and um, because i'm originally from ripon as, as some of the the more seasoned uh, listeners would know um and since moving to nottingham that's left a little bit of a, a blank space there um and so we're hosting the gates of gondolin which is the seventh city staple um in weatherby in north yorkshire um, that's on the 1st and 2nd of April. Um, and that one is a little bit of a palate cleanser from the GP. That is like your um, super generic six game, 800 points, like just a, a nice um, clash event as you'd normally expect. Um, and again, that's in another really cool venue. Um, it's going to be sort of catered and drinks on site, stay there, have fun, socialise, stay nearby. And then later on in the year in September, um, unfortunately, the date escapes me. Um, we are reviving of Dyson Men um, in Ripon. Um, and that's going to be really, really good fun as well. Yeah. And, and as you say, part of uh, your um, your sort of enterprise, as, uh, you know, I know you, you, you work at or for Seven City Collectibles in Nottingham, but, but you kind of spread your wings about to, I guess, not only uh, mean that, you, you know, you can bring your expertise to events elsewhere, but also just, you know, uh, I, I guess carry on doing what you're doing, but from around the country, which is which is only a good. I can only imagine it's a good thing. Obviously, it's great for the business as well. But but for for people who maybe can't travel as far, uh, there's there's events on your doorstep now again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're in a fortunate position that um, we do pretty well for Middle Earth events. We love to host them, and people love to come to them, um, which is you know the best relationship you could hope for. Um, and we also ha- now have the ability. Um, with the terrain and mats and the sort of mobility of that, that we can essentially put events anywhere that people feel they need them. Um, particularly the GBHL as well. You know, I, I'm a committee member. I want the league to grow um, as big as possible. And if there's sort of blank spaces in the UK where we'd really like to sort of drum up support and, and get events going for people that perhaps can't travel as much or, or to help grow communities, you know, from the, the ground up, we're in a really good position to do that and we're happy to travel to do so. Um, I, you know, it, it feels really nice to be able to say, actually, you know, there's currently no one running an event in Ripper and we used to run one there and it was really popular and people loved it. Um, and having the support of, uh, Seventh City to essentially go and do that is actually really, really cool. Um, and not many, you know, people would be able to do that. So I feel very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I guess just finally, I mean, kind of going back to um, the GP and, and the games on offer. I mean, what did you what did you think to the sort of variety of um, of lists and a variety of of armies and factions that were on display? Because um, 600 points, you know, uh, it's I feel like actually I play quite a lot of events at 600 points in the last um, few months. But it feels like it's a nice sweet spot for, for the game. Um, what did you think to to the variety of uh, of, of lists? And, and ideas that people had and and you know i guess uh, as a second point to that what what sort of things would you be taking to be honest i was absolutely staggered by um the list that was submitted um we only had uh, one or two um assault on lorian um which at 600 points you'd expect to be everywhere um, there was only one black riders i think there was three dragon emperor um, I think there was still like four or five assault on Helm's Deep, which is the other one you'd expect to see a lot of. Um, but generally speaking, there was like nothing that I'd have ex- expected to see a lot of in any real concentration. I think the most um, the most popular faction was Rohan, which no one would have seen coming. Um, Riders of Thedon is obviously very strong at 
any points level. Um, but to see so much Rohan, particularly allied with Lothlorien as well, um, was a big surprise. Um, and there was a bit of an uptick in Hunter Ox as, as well, which um, I've probably had a bit of a hand in. And if I was to have attended the event, I'd have taken exactly what Jake Rawson took. Um, so, you know, there were Hunter Orcs were popular at the weekend. Um, and I just think at 600 points, they really kick ass. So that like I'd, I'd have absolutely put some Hunter Orcs on the table if I was attending an event like that. Yeah, and, and it was interesting you mentioned the Assault on Lothlorien because um, the top eight um, didn't have any Assault on Lothlorien in it. And and were, there were some unusual uh, lists in there that you perhaps weren't necessarily going to expect to, to come into the top eight. The the top eight was incredibly refreshing to see. Have you talked about that yet? Can we talk about the top eight lists? Yeah, we can talk about the top eight. Uh, if we can try and avoid the, the number one because we'll hear from the, uh, him in a second. Absolutely. So from from the top eight, I know there was there was a Hunter Orcs list. Um, there was a Kirithongor Legendary Legion, which is very good at six hundred. Um, there was a like a real basic Minas Tirith list, which is always awesome to see. Just a classic um, single list. <clears throat> An assault on Helm's Deep, to be expected. There was a Erebor reclaimed and uh, Thranduil Halls, which isn't seen very often. Uh, a pure goblin town and uh Ugluk scouts like that's the most bananas top eight you could possibly imagine and i guess what's what's showcasing there is that you know you can you can have your meta list and you, your assaults on lothlorians which are strong or assault on helms deep but it's it's still it's a, a, some, something that a lot of people uh, still have this argument over is it's still player skill that that gets you into the top eight of a massive tournament and because all of those top eight and we ha- haven't named them by, by name but pretty much every single one of them uh, has been on a podium in the GBHL before yeah yeah exactly or or has at least been sort of sniffing around their local their local leagues their local matters and and been playing well um you know, you to be good SPG, you absolutely have to be lucky and good. Um, you can't do it with one of those two things. Mm, yeah, it's fascinating. Well, uh, well, it's it's a pleasure once again to to get you on to Entmoot to to talk about the GP. Uh, sorry, we couldn't catch up on the day, but as I mentioned earlier, it it was going to be uh, a uh, squeeze. It was, it was very busy. And I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, with that with that in mind, though, Will, we're going to now move into uh, who won uh, the Grand Prix. But uh, once again, thanks, Will Champion, for coming on to win. Thank you very much. And the big reveal. The winner is, after all of this, this excitement over the uh, course of the podcast, we have a winner. And we crown once again Jake Rawson as the winner of the tournament. Jake, how do you feel? Uh, shocked, surprised, exhausted, but thrilled. Yeah. It's been a fantastic weekend. Lots of great competitors, lots of close matches. Um, and to come away with the win with something that I'm quite new and unfamiliar with, so the Hunter Hawks, is a, is a great achievement. So I'm very pleased. I mean, I think we last spoke to you, I, I can't remember exactly, but I know you did well at the uh, Battle of the Number Tears in uh, Sutton and Ashfield, and you won the best newcomer of the league last year as well. So, so this is a strong continuation of that form. I think it's certainly a good start to the year. I've got a few more 100 pointers booked in, hopefully uh, make a bit more progress after where I ended up last year. 
but um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to stay and I'm having the best time. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens in the next few events. As a patron, you're wearing your Entmoot shirt with pride. It's fantastic. Uh, so thank you very much for doing that and supporting the podcast, of course. And um, let's talk about the list because um, Will Champion, the, the TO, he always has rated Hunter Orcs and you've got that Hunter Orcs list at 600 points. What exactly have you bought? So in the list, uh, Narzog as the leader, um, he brings with him 11 Hunter Orcs with bow and a Warhorn. And then we've got Fimble and Yasneg, both with a split of Hunterhawks with bows and just straight up Hunterhawks. Uh, a few Felwags and then a Goblin Mercenary Captain thrown in there for some spicy objective play. Yeah. Uh, totals 42 models, I think. Strong, isn't it? Very strong. A lot of attacks going out, uh, a lot of damage output. Um, and I, I've got to say, I think I may now prefer them to my elf list, which I'm famous <gasps> for. I know, blasphemy. Um, well, it, it's, it, it's interesting because obviously at this sort of tournament, you, you, the cream really does rise to the top. The, the, the way that the tournament is designed is to increase the chance of you playing some really, really hard games uh, today. So the last three games must have been top, top games. Has there been anything in particular that you've really struggled against or, or that, you've, that, you know, that you've found that you're you know, very close? Urukai are a very tough counter I found. Fight 4 and Strength 4, uh, perfectly designed to deal with Hunter Orcs. Um, but because of the two attacks and they're not relying on spear sports and formations, some manoeuvring has been able to sort of negate that threat. Um, I, I will be honest, and some of the wins today have come down to dice rolls ending games when they very much benefited me. Mm. So I, as well as a bit of skill, I was very lucky this weekend. There so were some great competitors. I'm, I'm sure there were. And you, you mentioned a bit of skill. Were, were there any particularly clever moves that you can briefly regale us with? I would like to pretend there was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's, no, there's no, nothing that you think, like, okay, this happened because I did this clever thing? I just It plays very differently from my elf list. So in, in the other list that I'm used to, the heroes go in, they mess up as much as they can. In this one, they just keeping them safe and letting all the troops do the work and having to fight that urge to say, oh, let's let's send some charging heroes in this turn. Um, and just keeping them back really helps keep that might for the late game, and that makes a big difference with Hunt Orcs, getting the traps, getting the wraps around. So being conservative with the way I played them is probably what's helped me the most. And I'd imagine because you've got the two attacks, and you don't need the spear support, so you can spread your line really quite wide and then envelop around the sides quite easily. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, it, it doesn't help when heroes are fluffing combats and things don't go the way you want, but yeah, the, the wide line, the spreading out, the, the 19 bows, um, which it doesn't do much, but it's a, a nice threat presence. Um, it's just... 19 bows, that's, that's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Hitting on four plus as well for the army bonus is nice. And it's, just, it's, it's very forgiving as well. If you lose a hunter walk or two here or there, it's fine because you've got a load more of them. Um, and for eight points a pop, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. Yeah. Well, Jay, uh, well done uh, once again. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see you talking podiums. It wasn't, you weren't just a flash in the pan success. You're here to stay, as you say. Uh, another GBHL 100 for you. So uh, best of luck for, for the league as it goes on. Maybe we'll be talking to you at the end of the year for the league finale. We'll see. I hope so. Thank you very much. Jake Rawson there. Uh, well done to Jake. Um, best newcomer of the GBHL last year. On track already to certainly be in with a chance of competing at the highest level uh, maybe even winning the Great British Hobbit League this year who knows he's definitely one to watch and that's what the whole point of the best newcomer is I suppose and there you go and that is the Grand Prix um, I'm very pleased with my performance I'm very pleased with Ellendil and the captain uh, so I'm going to bring them back not to the Grand Prix necessarily but I'm going to use them uh, in future I have some 800 point tournaments that are kicking about um, I actually have done a patron vote for the army that I'm going to take to the Gates of Gondolin, uh, which we spoke about with um, with Will uh, just in the interview a few minutes ago. 
um, I, I'm very excited for that tournament and I've got a poll and hopefully uh, you'll find out in a future episode who uh, or what I've t- go, decided to take. So the next episode will be the Scouring of Cheshire, um, which is the uh, Stockport tournament uh, classic uh, featuring Alex Battlecamper, 10 pull. Um, and there's a, there might be a little bit of extra interest in that one, so keep uh, keep tuned. I'll be taking um, some Numenor pure solid gold Numenor, 800 points. You can probably work out who's going to be added to the list. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, do get in touch with the question that needs answering um, with your sort of general opinion on 40k. Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, do you have a bad sort of um, uh, opinion of 40k? Uh, and, and where does that bad opinion come from? Why are people in the SBG community and maybe other uh, game systems um, a bit mean about 40k? Uh, maybe you play 40k, maybe you agree, maybe you have noticed the toxicity uh, of the city there or something. Who knows? Um, let me know. Uh, podcast at gmail.com. And of course, we'll have the Riddle in the Dark at the end if you want as well. And we'll probably keep that running for a few episodes. In the meantime, thanks for listening once again. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash battlegames in Middle Earth. But in the meantime, I'll be back. Boorah rum.